0: Welcome to the WTF Forum. The hosts do not give financial, legal, medical, or any kind of advice. Opinions are their own. This broadcast contains foul language and dangerous ideas. If you need a trigger warning, you are in the wrong place. Now enjoy the show.
1: Dear partners and friends of...
2: What the fuck? ...for a very cordial welcome. The WTF Forum is a decentralized broadcast network with no governing body of any kind and is produced and distributed by a loosely affiliated, ever-growing network of rogue, independent content creators. This forum does not, will not, and shall not have any one location, feed, platform, or channel, but shall be shared and multiplied as nature dictates. If any listener of the following proceedings... Finds themselves offended, they will be asked kindly to go fuck themselves. All right, what's going on, what the fuckers? How's everybody doing tonight? It is another great night for a forum. Uh, I will be honest, though. I am a little tuckered out. I camped the last three nights, drank some beer, but mostly worked my ass off in between. Like 15, 16 hour days. Uh, I was a carny this past week, everybody. I I worked at a festival and it was a trip. Uh, and I think that may come up in different ways, shapes, and forms. But uh, let's just say I saw a lot of weird motherfuckers this past few days. <laughs> Anywho, I am Mike the Polymath coming at you from the easy peasy shop. Uh This is the WTF Forum, and I will pass it over to Ashley.
3: Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for allowing me once again to be on the WTF Forum. Um, So I'm Ashley at the Union Unknowns. You can get in touch with me at Union Unknowns on Twitter. And I also just wanted to shout out my buddy Ando, who I had a chance to meet IRL last Monday, And um, he hung out with me and my husband and he got to meet all of the critters and it was really, really lovely. So I just wanted to say that shout out and take it away, Ando.
4: Hey, what's up? Yeah, it was great meeting all of those critters. Um, they all have a day of the week and they have a day of the week in my heart um,
2: <laughs> what about what about Ashley's husband wasn't it, wasn't it good to meet him too I mean come on
4: yeah he's yeah, a cool critter as well but, uh, but I mean I, I didn't pet him or anything he didn't give me dog hugs you know like Molly comes up and puts her head right on your shoulder and she just lets you pet her head and she really she's like after it I'm gonna I'm gonna get my pets is what yeah. she says But then there's a shy cat, and then there's uh, a cat that's shy at first, but then he's not shy. He's like, oh, okay, we're cool. And then once we're cool, we're cool. But anyway, (laughs) Ando, (laughs) burn Babylon burn, the Doom Kitchen. Uh, You can find me on libertylinks.io slash the Doom Kitchen.
5: Stella! Hey. Yeah, that was a delight to see you guys come together.
4: Yeah, it was great. Yeah. How are you always introduced, a real Sheila from down under?
5: (laughs) That's what they say, apparently.
4: (laughs) So I'll go with it.
5: I'm not one to rebel. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Stella Q from Australia. Um, I'm on the east side in uh, the northern part of New South Wales, if anyone's following on a map. (laughs) Um, I am always honoured to be here with my uh, fellow rogues, and I'm sorry to hear that you're a bit castled out, Mike.
2: Oh, I'll be all right. You know, it's just been a marathon and this is, you know, we're looking at the finish line. I knew that I, I had the form tonight and I'm ready to go. So don't feel bad for me.
5: Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, you can catch me at uh, Union of the Unknowns and uh, occasionally the Propaganda Report and generally here. Over to OG Dadbod.
2: What's going on guys og Deadbod, og Deadbod one on twitter and whole
1: lot of nothing podcast uh, i'm still not sure why i'm still making a podcast other than me nobody listens to it but i jumped <laughs> on a night in the hopes that there would be more what the fuck" and laughs
6: than doom and gloom which i'm not predicting there's gonna be but i'm just here for the lols at this point or lols is that what the cool kids say yeah <laughs> uh, who you know what
2: i saw a lot of quote-unquote cool kids at the county fair kind of thing i was at it wasn't a county fair it was actually an Oktoberfest, but it felt an awful lot like a county fair and uh it was so funny there were so many high school kids there and i almost forgot what high school kids are like but they really haven't changed that much except there's more furries okay i'll say that and other odd type of identities i saw an elf who I'm pretty sure took it quite seriously. This was way too early for a Halloween costume. And she looked far too comfortable wearing those ears. And <laughs> I'm not kidding guys. Like, you know, I saw the jocks. I saw like the freaks and the geeks and I saw the furries. So like there is a new clique in the high schools these days.
6: This is what happens when you get rid of bullying.
2: <laughs> exactly.
6: So
5: <much>
2: <laughs> exactly, man. I agree. I think I might well, have we...
5: uh, just found myself a new career. I've, I've just I've just come upon a niche. Thank you for the inspiration, uh, furry grooming.
6: I was going to say, <laughs> are you going to be a professional furry?
7: <laughs>
5: no, well, somebody needs to look after these Ruff. these furries, don't they? And and you know, clip them, keep their nails nice and. Yeah, clean. the wood chipper.
3: Yes, there's a market. Uh, there's a market, Stella. <laughs> and you can you can set you up could... your. Uh mobile I, I, furry I'm, grooming oh, that's I'm gonna thinking, be a great
2: business i'm, I'm thinking a, a a spa and kennel you know they can pay you to stay in a yes. case how great is that beautiful like we have that love it's love
8: called
6: it. jail
2: yeah <laughs> so speaking of uh a furry grooming
4: uh back whenever i, I lived in denver we, there was this uh neighbor kid he was probably about 13 or 14 and he always would Uh, talk to us while we're out smoking and drinking on the porch. We're, you know, we're, we're pretty roguish. Um, anyway, he, he was talking about going to meet up with the furries and the the furries are his friends. And one of my friends was like, I, I didn't really know what they were at the time, but he was, uh, my friend was like, stay away from those guys. Those guys are going to mess you up. So maybe that's what's happening here. Are they, do you think that furries are grooming younger and younger and going after teenagers like that? Because I mean, he was a weird, he was an autistic kid for sure. Um, and you know, I, I didn't think too much of it at the time. This was like 2014.
2: You know, I think you might have a point like they might be grooming these kids into furries at a younger and younger age. It's almost like I see sort of like anime culture as being a part of this. You know, I I'm almost exaggerating when I say furries because I didn't see any full blown furries, but I saw, I don't know, dozens, if not like, well, yeah, we'll stick with dozens (laughs) of kids wearing these like fuzzy hats with the tails that come down. It's like a hat scarf thing, but it's got like ears and like some of them were Pikachu and some of them were like little bunny rabbits or whatever. And I even saw one where she was tugging on like little wires in the little hanging down scarf bits. And it was making the ears flip up and down. And it was kind of just bizarre. And like it was bizarre how many of these I saw. So I'm, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, well, maybe somebody here at the fair is selling these weird furry hats. And, uh, I didn't ever go investigate. We were pretty busy. I was, I was helping a friend and his uncles sell, uh, wood fire pizzas. And we sold like 1200 pizzas in three days. We were slinging dough and bringing in the dough, you know, pardon the, the pizza pun, but it was a good opportunity to kind of see a cross section of, of people, uh, in a fairly typical town, in Indiana. You know, it's kind of a rural town, but like not a, not a super small town. Anyways, it was, um, like I said, kind of a freak show, great people watching, you know, we had people of all shapes and sizes walking through. And I'm glad to say that my friend and his uncles are like super based. So they were a lot of fun to hang around. And like, when we weren't serving pizzas, we were talking about like, how fat people were and how weird people were and how stupid they looked if they had a mask on and this, that, and the other. And that was, that was kind of nice, you know, <laughs> but we have, we have a new guest in the house who just popped in. Uh, we've all made our introductions, but I'm going to pass it down to Jin, and it says here, Jin the ninja. Now I'm not real familiar. So you're going to have to tell me who you are and you know, our audience I'm sure wants to know too. So what's happening, Jen?
8: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Sorry, Ashley just kind of uh, let me know like uh, 15 minutes ago, so I wasn't totally prepared. Um, I have listened to you guys for a while. I was on Union of Unknowns, two episodes. Um, Ashley and I are pretty good friends, uh, also friends with Stella Q, mutuals with quite a few of you. So I basically... um, have done uh 11-part series on uh, the Mahavijas, which is like a syncretic grouping of uh, Hindu Buddhist goddesses from Nepal, and uh, on a show called Subconscious Realms, and I've done a couple episodes on Occult Rejects. Anyways, it, it doesn't matter, but all that. I've done a, some occult series, we'll say. So I have quite a bit of experience in not really the occult world, but like um, occult Buddhism, we'll say, or esoteric Buddhism. And I just started to kind of like look through all the things that have been going on the last five years. And I started to realize that I recognize a lot of the stuff. And then I started to realize that a lot of the things that we are seeing actually, like I could understand in a specific way. And then looking at Kabbalah and some of the other things that other people have talked about, I just. I start applying myself more instead of just being like in my own bubble. And so I just realized that it's all like you can understand it just as a science of signs and symbols. So that's basically, yeah, that's basically me.
5: Good to hear uh, hear from you, Jin. It's been a while.
8: Hey, Stella. How you doing? Pretty good, actually. Excellent. How are you doing?
5: I'm good, thank you. Very good. (laughs) Good
2: to hear your voice. Likewise, well, Jen, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I speak for everybody. I'm glad to have you, man. Uh, it's always good to have a new contributor, and oftentimes we do kind of last minute throw out some invites and see who might jump on. You know, so I appreciate you being here, uh, really do. So, am I am I hearing you right that you more contribute to other shows, or do you have a show of your own? I, I'm not sure if I heard you right.
8: So I have been more of a contributor and Ashley and I are doing a series actually on near death experiences on subconscious realms, just a shout out to that. But uh, yes, I've been more of a contributor, but I have my own RSS feed coming up pretty soon here. It's going to be called Threshold Saints and same name on Instagram. If anyone wants to find me, Jim the Ninja on Twitter. Um, so yeah, that's basically uh, what what I'm doing. But yeah, thanks Mike for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm you know, looking
3: I, forward to uh, tuning in to Jen's podcast once it rolls out as well. Sorry, Mike, didn't mean to interrupt.
2: Well, I was just going to kind of maybe lay out sort of what we're thinking for tonight. It's going to be maybe a little different. Um, you know, it's kind of like this this craziness of the last few days with uh, with Israel and Gaza and I think some shit's popping off in Syria too. And, you know, I actually, since I was doing stuff all weekend and I was camping, I wasn't looking at my phone. In fact, I kept my phone on do not disturb basically for three days straight. And it was so nice. I kind of detoxed, but then I came back and I'm like, Holy shit. There's some real fucking shit going down right now. And, uh, I, you know, I kind of tried to catch up on it, but it's so much that, you know, I appreciate that. I know some folks who I'm sure know a thing or two more than me about what's going on. Um, To me, it you know, I mentioned in our chat that like I think all of this is like a story as old as as humans have existed. It's just the revelation of the method kind of thing where I don't know, people have been warring and brutalizing and stealing each other's land and resources for a really long time. So to me, like getting mixed up in the minutia of our current situation is almost a fool's errand. To an extent, I want to understand what's happening, but at the same time, I feel like um, it's not like this shit hasn't happened before. So I'm all about the context. Well, that. and it sounds the thing, well, that, yeah.
4: the thing that hasn't happened before is is the hundreds of rabbis busting into the Aqsa mosque and, and trying to take it over that that really was the thing that that was kind of like, OK, now it's on. It's It's on and so things are on and popping going off in the uh the place we all expect it to um and you know almost all the end time prophecy is is set at this location so uh big surprise you know uh that it's happening in our lifetime i mean
5: (laughs) yeah it sounds like it's right on cue
3: Exactly. And I just wanted to chime in. So obviously, I I think it would be good for us to lay out a a partial history, at least, or like a very high level history of the situation of Gaza. And then I would uh, like to maybe, because I've seen a lot of people say, look, the Palestinians are not that great too, whatever. So well, why then? Okay. Because from my perspective, it seems like they live there and then people started moving in and it's the what we would call military occupation and they were removed from their homes and their their space that they're allowed to occupy becomes smaller and smaller so why don't you tell me how that's a, a good a good thing um you know and then right. the other uh, one the original we, you know, uh, okay Because the other thing is, like in today's modern day time, whenever you hear people like Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, there the message is exactly the same for everybody. I think that means you need to start asking some questions. If nothing else, even if emotionally you're responding to the stimuli that's being put out to cause an emotional response, then you still need to ask some questions. Okay, sorry, Andrew.
4: The original sykes Pico was uh, um, was a lot smaller than what it is now, and uh, that was uh, that was land um, that the Rothschilds gave to them, and it has expanded over over decades. And it wasn't even properly ratified. If you listen to a couple of uh, Grand Theft World episodes ago, uh, two weeks ago, um, he has a really great interview in there. I can I can look up. Who he was talking to, but he, uh, they have a huge discussion on that. That's a show you should listen to tonight. After you're done listening here, by the way, Grand Theft Worlds every Sunday, very late.
5: Yes, yeah, so I will be listening to that. Could you pop a um, link in the show notes, perhaps, Ando? Please, I mean the chat and eventually the show notes. <laughs> Thank you.
3: And then if I could just, um, I don't want to hog the the time here, but I want to introduce kind of what we're going to be talking with Jen about. So then um, I didn't know if Ando and Jen wanted to discuss that or whenever Mike's ready to roll it out. But basically, Jen, I just wanted to give you a heads up. Whenever you're ready for me to pull up the the first image, you just let me know. And I'm going to be doing that like a in a, a shadow, um, you know government <laughs> yes yeah.
5: government. our own shadow government yes
8: no problem like ashley whenever you're ready you just do whatever i'll just go with the flow it's your show, Perfect. It's your show, it's your show so i, think we, should, I
2: think we should i think we should hop right into it really um you know, i know og's just here for the laughs but it's kind of like we got to rip this band-aid off sort of this is brutal stuff that we're about to talk about so like i suppose trigger warning you know even though <laughs> In our intro, it says if you need a trigger warning, like you're in the wrong place, fuck off. Um, but this is in a way like no laughing matter. At the same time, you know we're the WTF form, so anything goes. If we have have happen to have a laugh here and there, don't judge us. But um, yeah, we're gonna talk about this this particular story that's been making headlines about this girl, this Israeli girl, who supposedly, if I'm not mistaken, unless I ha- I'm thinking of the wrong person. Um, was kidnapped from like a festival music festival and was raped and killed and mutilated um, by these invaders right so is that is that the headline that i'm am i right is that the
8: story here yeah um ashley should take credit for it really because ashley was the one who tagged me found the thing and then we both kind of like were just looking at the images, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, I'm sorry if I can't swear, but I'm gonna say. Oh, so we swear uh, all the time.
2: Swearing is, is I've heard time. you
8: swear, Mike. Is okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just want to make sure. Um. So yeah, I was just like, "Holy shit! This is like so occulted." I just couldn't believe it, and I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying that. Uh, really bad stuff didn't happen. None, none of that. It's just it's just looking at for the, exactly what I said, the signs and symbols that were hidden in things. And it's just, I mean, I personally, I'm at the point where I just, I don't really care about, I'm not like, I don't, not both sides. In. I don't like both sides. I, I don't really care i just i care yeah. about people who live here i care about like us and i care about like my own thing i I just oh. i just don't have like weaponized like i'd hate that idea of weaponized empathy it feels very false like a false virtue and so i just that that's, that's not my you know my perspective is just like i'm isolationist <laughs> basically um at yeah. the moment but you know I, yeah so we there's um some images um, posted by a very interesting influencer from the UK who used to be trans, then was transracial, then now has become like a based right-wing influencer, I guess, kind of thing, like kind of like Ian Miles Chong. And uh, so immediately I noticed, and obviously Ashley tagged me, so that's how I noticed, was he, he was saying she had 7,000 likes. And shout out to Drizzle too because he also like said like when Ashley showed him that it was like he said it's like dark mother energy and seven is the number of like it's the feminine consort number if you're looking at it from like a more kabbalistic or tantric perspective. So I just thought that's really interesting like right up face value seven thousand likes like and that's a very specific number too. And then
5: sorry Ashley go ahead. Oh, that was my lips. Um <laughs> sorry. Oh sorry uh, yes. Starler. Go ahead. <laughs> That's all right. Um the sevens, yes, I just wanted to comment the sevens are really rampant and thick at the moment. I don't know if anyone's noticing, but oh boy, man, it's just like everywhere. Seven, seventy seven, 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 everything's seven, seven, sevens. So just keep a lookout for that because yeah. it's like um it's like seven is the new thirty three almost. <laughs> so the, the uh
4: there was a guy on the news and he was yeah some general or something and he was talking about the population of Israel being seven million which is a million more than the six million that they say died in that that incident that happened you know about a hundred years ago
5: now um that's interesting uh, because I saw that there was six million in Israel just yesterday so you're seeing seven Mm -hmm. okay but he was
4: waiting he was saying that that so uh i forgot exactly how many people died but he he said that that was about equivalent to nine eleven because of the ratio to the population which was just insane but uh at the same time the the seven million throwing out that that out there as well
8: let me just throw this out there is that i think you both can be right from an occult perspective like because seven plus six is 13 then you don't reduce 13 in numerology you just keep it as like it's the anti-god number so i just think that's also very interesting is that they would put out both of those numbers and then if you kind of like do the numerology of them it becomes like the cabal number the coven number i just think that's interesting
4: why is 13 is so I, uh, why is thirteen an anti-god number? Because you've got the twelve apostles plus Jesus makes thirteen. That should be that should be a good number.
8: So, uh, like, I'm not a I'm not a, a ritual or a ceremonial magician. I've never been like uh, practiced like talima or OTO or Golden Dawn. Like, I was never into that. But from what I understand is that it was like because Crowley was a Calvinist, so he it's like um, what did they What is the saying? Uh, It's like Christianity without Jesus. That's basically, I've heard many even scholars uh, describe it like that. So it's kind of like, oh, it's it's constant inversionism. I know that might surprise people because it is like a Christian denomination, well, Christian in one way of thinking, but really Calvinism is, I would say, probably part of the inversionary religion. And uh, likely they use the number 13 because it's like the
5: apostle number. Could I also interject there, um, just possibly, and I'm, I'm sure I've read this somewhere, that basically 13 is the apostles with Jesus plus Judas. So does that.
8: Oh, yeah, that's. I think that's totally right, Stella. I think you're totally right. I think it's even in uh, one of Crowley's books, uh, Lieber Al, I believe. I think right, that is true. You. I think that is true. Like, again, I am just, like, new to some of the more, like, contemporary occultism Ashley knows. Like, I'm a very traditional, like, Buddhist. I'm not, like, this is not my world, but it's, I'm, I'm learning as I go. So, you know, I believe that is true. I think that is exactly right. It's the number of Judas. And I think that um, also, like, her date on, like, the date that it's given, I think it's September. 5th, I can't read it, but. The fourth. Yeah. So I think so that let me, 13 as well. Let me
3: just read this really quick, Jen, and then I'll let you um get into it. So the what we're showing is what kicked this all off, which was a post by uh as they were talking about journalist Ollie London, and he's talking about this woman. So he said her final Instagram post dated September the fourth was captioned, quote, as above, so below. And then he goes on to say, end quote, excuse me, he goes on to say an ancient quote, which means that what happens in a higher realm also happens in a lower realm. She has received an outpouring of condolences on the post with over 7,000 comments. So this was what really grabbed my attention. First of all, because it struck me as the a replication of a sympathy and emotional propaganda for today's day and time, which would be a stunningly hot influencer versus an incubator baby. So this was the original uh, post that sort of got me thinking. And then I tagged Jen. Jen, if you want to take this away, and then uh, also just let me know when you want me to pull up the other uh, posts that you had shared.
8: Sure. Thank you, Ashley. And of course, anyone jump in at any time and whatever you like want to talk or ask whatever we'll do we'll we'll have a discussion sorry
2: if i may yeah um I'm, i'm just putting myself in the perspective of a listener who knows nothing about this right now so i think we need to be somewhat um conscientious of that like who first and foremost who i mean yeah this girl was an israeli influencer right I mean, what do we know about this girl other than the stories that are been shown, shown to us? She's German? She a
4: German dual citizen.
2: Okay.
5: Can I, I yeah, please if ask? You, it, can I please uh, ask? Has anyone yeah. seen much video of this girl? I
2: haven't.
5: Moving pictures?
2: Oh, looks looks like, we lost Jin. Looks okay. like Jin He'll is having out. technical issues. Um, I don't know anything about her. so I just want I to mean,
5: suggest that that looks very AI to me.
2: You're not totally wrong.
3: Yeah, and we have a couple of other images of her, and they do look kind of like that. And it wouldn't surprise me if this person didn't exist or if this person was a crisis actor, for sure.
5: Created, yeah, a created character. Yes. Um, We have been shown a number of influences of late that are AI, and they look very freaking real. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's the beta version that they've shown us. And what they actually use are the very much more advanced versions. That's my take.
3: Yeah, I think that's very possible. I,
8: I would agree with that. I mean, I'm very open to any interpretation of, like, her backstory. I don't, I'm not, like, married to any particular kind of, like, it just, it struck me so much. And even the 13 comes up in this post with September 4th. And because obviously September is the ninth month plus four, and usually in numerology you would add in the year, but I just like to focus on what they actually say, because I think like Mike said, it's revelation of the method that so you have to look at exactly what they are saying to you to understand you cannot just add in correspondences as needed. You have to really look at what they're saying and that's what's important. And I noticed, and the, as above, so below, like to me, that's so interesting because there's a great, so if people want to go back and it's not to shout out another show, but um, Robbie Marks has a show called Meta Mindcast. He did a uh, three part episode on the Emerald tablets. So if people are interested in like that kind of like, Hermetic axiom, like where it came from in the ninth and tenth century. That's where. Okay, so I'll just say Madame Blavatsky is the one who invented that saying "As above, so below." That is not like an ancient idea. the The Emerald Tablets is a very short book. People can look it up. It's on archive.org. It's nothing like demonic or whatever. It's just it's it's just about alchemy and transmutation, but not all always external. It also can refer to internal things. So she supposedly translated this book and she added in this thing as above, so below, which in one way of thinking is sort of correct, but it's also inversionary because the thinking is, is that we're in the third turning right now and we are entering the fourth turning. So when you're saying as above, so below, if you believe that it's already been inverted, what are you really saying? So I'll just... I mean, I'm not totally – I don't have a totally clear cosmogonic map of theosophy or any of that, but that's just kind of my thinking on it. Tim. Ashley, does that make sense? Sorry, go ahead, Stella. Uh,
5: okay. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask, uh, when you said that uh, Madame Blavatsky trans- well, wrote the book, basically she translated it, did, was it her? or I can't remember if it was her or Bailey that uh, translated through that other character, um, the asian looking guy. I can't remember his name. It's like a three-part name. Do you know who I'm talking about?
8: Yeah. Is it Sri Aurobindo or the other one? R- or Krishna Murti? Is that who no, it is? No, I think it
5: was the first guy you said. I can never remember his name. Um, I, I can she either. used I'm to so channel him from what I remember.
8: Oh, yes. And the whole thing about ascended masters and Mm. theosophy and like, I mean, that's the whole basis of theosophy is sort of an extension of spiritualism. So like the Fox sisters in New York, in the 1870s, um, they did the table wrapping, if people aren't familiar with that. And then, like Stella is saying, so this is like in the sort of like the 1920s like just the pre-war time there was all these um archaeologists in central asia in india and they were playing something called the great game so this has been has been going on in this region for 300 years maybe maybe longer so yeah she supposedly was a medium although many people will say now that she was a fraud but actually most occultists like most contemporary occultists would actually say that she's was like real in some way and crowley said that she was not that i care about what crowley says but it's just interesting to look at from that perspective is that she, he said that she was like um i don't know like a 33 degree whatever oto person so mm-hmm. i just think that's interesting so she was like a medium supposedly for these higher forces so she married spiritualism which is like dealing with the spirits of the deceased with this idea of like ritual high magic and they were really obsessed well i should just say that they were really obsessed with like egyptian pantheon stuff and trying to like apply hebrew kabbalah to the egyptian pantheon but it doesn't really work as far as i can tell but secretly both her and crowley were into the hindu and like more buddhist things but they didn't really ex like they didn't explain that in their books as far as i'm reading so you can see this is a picture of um madame blavatsky taken in nepal and the in and the israeli german i guess we'll call her an influencer and it's just so fascinating because I just did a double take when I saw the photo, is that she's doing the sign as above, so below. So Mm -hmm. she's pointing at heaven, sort of, and the ground. And if you even look at her cleavage, I'm not trying to be weird, but it's in like a downward pointing triangle, which is a triangle of manifestation. Mm -hmm. And if you see Madame Blavatsky, she has like, it looks like a snake, but it's a scarf and it's actually like a orange gold scarf. When you, when I saw the, it's like an old fashioned colored picture kind of. And the girl has a gold necklace, which has like tourmalines in it or like a green blue stone. So that's also, and it's triangular as well. And the double triangle would be like a double triangle of manifestation. So it would be an access to one of, I know I'm getting very metaphysical here. I apologize. Um, So, and they're also wearing black. So they're wearing black and gold each. Black and gold, as everybody here knows, is the color of the cube of uh, in Mecca, the Kaaba, as well as in Hebrew Kabbalah, is the colors for the sphere of Bana, which is the sphere where Saturn. So the planets are considered a lower concept in Kabbalah. The planets are not the entire sphere, there are four densities. And so black and gold, but black and gold is the general color of Banah, and Bana is the crystallizing sort of sphere that we go through if you believe in like the cycle of reincarnation which theosophists did so we would pass through that when we are born as well as pass through that when we die so with the entry into formlessness and form as well
3: So just to summarize that, because sometimes I have to, because Jen does talk at a really high level. So I have to just try to condense it to like what I can understand. So what I would say here is that we have a woman who was a known occultist who was involved in all of this, the the magic stuff that we often talk about here. And we're seeing a lot of that exact same symbology played out in one of these alleged victims of Hamas, including down to numbers like we said the 7000 and then her quote as above so below that's that's associated very much with the occultist in today's day and time
2: so i want to just be clear in this particular instagram post did she caption it as above so below like was that made yes. clear that was yes. made clear in,
3: that's no so- assumption Okay. That is not an assumption. According to Ollie London, who is the reporter that's reporting on this, he said her final Instagram post was the one that had this image or um, a similar image where she said her final quote was as above, so below, and it had 7,000 comments on it.
2: So let me, let me just say real quick, um, I don't know of many Instagram influencers that go an entire month without posting. Today is October 8th. Um, So was it exactly one month then more or less like before pretty she was pretty much. Supposedly, yeah. It was killed.
3: September. The fourth was yeah. her last. Um, now,
2: if I, if I can real month. quick, because I do want to, I do want to just be almost a devil's advocate here and say that human beings like us are very good at recognizing patterns where they exist and where they don't exist. So I, you know, I might, I might, try to um, bring a different perspective than necessarily like this is all you know but I'm open to being influenced like I said in the chat I think this is all human ecology like I'm not saying this girl wasn't just some girl who said some shit on Instagram or whatever and was you know brutally killed you know maybe maybe there's more to it than that but like people have been killing each other for a very long time I'm just gonna keep maybe coming back to that like War is is always brutal, and there's al- almost always like, I, not almost. There's always collateral damage on both sides, and but it, it is strange when something like this gets just thrust into the conversation so forcefully.
3: Exactly, um, so it is worth
2: looking at.
7: Yeah,
3: that's what I was gonna say. Is that I. If if someone doesn't believe this, that's fine. What I just want to convey throughout this whole thing is that there is some seriously weird symbolism happening and it is being tied in with a a very familiar propagandist feel that we've seen before. So we talked about this a little bit before the show, but to get the heartstrings of the American people pulled and to get them to support war, there was uh, the daughter of um, a diplomat to Kuwait. And she testified in a, a televised court hearing that Iraqi soldiers were removing babies from Kuwait from incubators and throwing them on the ground. So my whole thought in all of this information that we've been flooded with about this particular narrative is a couple things. So A, we have all politicians in quote lockstep in their support for Israel. What we don't have is anybody in the mainstream giving you context or nuance about what could have precipitated this situation. They're automatically engaging you to a side. Then the other thing is just keeping in mind the, just the propaganda narrative. We know that all wars are bankers wars. So the war drums are being beat here. And that is what I'm telling people to just Think about these things. Like maybe you don't believe in the symbology or the Mm -hmm. occult stuff that's being placed in us. That's fine. But at least do some thinking about why is this being shown? Why is Mm Ali London able to say all of this? um, You know, I I don't consider it to be anti-trans rhetoric. I consider it to be common sense. But why is he able to say that? Uh, on his platform. It's because I think that these people are, they have what they're allowed to say because there is a bigger narrative that they will toe the line for 100%.
5: I think it's um, important to point out too, that there's two kinds of symbology going on here at the moment. There's the propaganda type symbology, like for instance, as a very clear example to me, Uh, where they just put out uh, in Ukraine that, you know, Marina Abramovich was going to be something to do with something whatever, you know, political. And it's like, oh, come on, come on. You know, you're just throwing (laughs) Burley. You're throwing Burley to the conspiracy theorists, all right? So there's that. There's the propaganda symbology. And then there's the authentic symbology. And, again, it doesn't really matter if you believe in it or not because they do. And that's assuming that that's correct. There's also the third option of They throw out the propaganda symbology and then they throw out what we assume is authentic symbology and none of it's authentic and they're just playing us completely. So there's three sort of options there but I tend to go with um, option two, uh, the first one which they're throwing out fake crap and they're also following their own symbology to communicate with each other. So there is no texts or emails or any records of anything. This is how they communicate.
2: Yeah, you know, I guess I'm. I'm just mostly speaking to the fact that the numerology thing for me is always kind of hard to get my head around. I'm not saying it is or isn't, um, but I, you know, numbers are numbers. It's hard to for me. I don't see those patterns. I see different patterns. So I want to. I want to like. I don't. I'm not trying to derail us from this, but I, you know, I'll show you my perspective later when we've covered this girl some more. I want to hear more about what's going on with this.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm just going to run through your other slides real quick, Jen. So we'll take it from you. No
8: problem. No, I just want to say that I agree 100% with what Stella said. Like, it doesn't matter if we believe it, they believe it. Like, they absolutely believe it. Like, even the Dutch East India Company had a Baal Shem on every ship. So the idea that they do not practice like magic, do not practice Kabbalah, it's not even Kabbalah, it's all kinds. And uh, like, Iran has like their own Sahir tradition as well, that has its own like, Kabbalistic names that are in Persian and all that stuff. So it really does exist, like it really exists. And they really do believe it. So it doesn't matter if we do, it just, it's just trying to look at what they put out there. And yes, it can totally be like bait, but I will say like a uh, a Marina Abramovich, in my opinion, is like a real witch. Everything that I've ever heard her say, I've ever heard, like oh, serious 100%. ceremonial magic, right? And so I just want to say that I do believe she's like, and she's even from that region of the world. Like she's even from the Ukraine hungry borderlands. She I mean, it's is, crazy. she
5: is. Yep. And I just want to point out that I wasn't saying that she was a fake. No, 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 no. She definitely is not a fake. Uh, what I'm saying is that that was a very um, propaganda type chess move to put her into a position of... Governmental. I don't even. I can't even quite They're remember they, what she was. I she think was they put president. her in charge of
8: education. Is that
5: right? Helping, oh, really? helping rebuild schools. Yeah. Oh my lord. Oh my lord.
8: No, I okay. totally agree. I. I wasn't saying that. So I'm sorry if that's how it came across. I didn't mean that. I just meant that. I think I agree with you. I think she's like the scapegoat. I think that's why that picture circulated with her holding the goat's head. I think that's even what that meant. Mm. Not just like a like not just like a crazy. Oh, she's a satanist. Like I d- actually think that she's just like the scapegoat. She's the one put they put forth. Because you have to also remember, in Talima, which is came after Madame Blavatsky, but she kind of is a progenitor of it. Uh, they considered her like the kind of the fa- uh, we'll call it like a semi-historical founder. The coven queens age out. So, like, you have, like, people from the 60s and the 70s, they cycled through a lot of those people, like Tuesday Welds, and um, who's the mom of Mariska Hargitay, who was uh, really big into, I don't remember her name, I'm sorry, but anyways, there was a bunch of, like, uh, 70s, 60s, 70s actresses who were very... Yeah, Tuesday one. She's really beautiful and everything. And mm. she, you know, her career never really took off, but she was very heavily involved in the Church of Satan as well as oh. I think she was on a Beatles cover. I think she was on. I mean, they just uh, the Anton LaVey wrote like a, I think, uh, in his one of his books. I've never read it, but I believe that they had. Um, he he wrote like a thing thanking her or or like an introduction in his book about her. So I just think that there's a lot of the girls age out is what I'm trying to say. So the idea of like having like a Babylon queen, it's not just like one metaphysical idea of like a goddess that exists in the ether. It's actually someone that exists here and that they nominate for a set amount of time. So that's what I think when we're seeing like these influencer girls, I think we're kind of seeing them as like the sacrificial lambs. If you want to say that, like, I think that they use the symbology to kind of, I don't know if it's like planned, like way in advance or it's just coincidence, or it's just like numbers that are just coincidental. But I will also say about numbers is that this is not true of Buddhism, but in Hebrew Kabbalah, everything comes down to numbers. I mean, everything in the Hebrew language is relatable to numbers, even spelling magic with a K. K is the 11th number of the alphabet. There are 11 spheres in the Kabbalah uh, tree, uh, both the upward tree and the downward tree. I just think, and then you got 22. And then if you consider the third secret tree, that's 33. So then you have the number of like um, ascendants, which is 34, which is seven. So I just think that that The numbers really do – I mean, for uh, someone who's practicing occultism, the numbers really do – are so important and they really make sense. But I totally understand that they're very – it's a very esoteric, like nebulous process to go through all of them.
5: Yeah. And um, also they tend to – whoever they use as what will eventually be a sacrifice, um, they are setting them up for a fall every time. So um, like, it's almost like goddess shift work really, isn't it? It's like, yes. okay, you're hired for this gig. Um, yes. Okay, that gig's done now. You're under the bus. Next. Um, That's
8: an amazing point.
5: Yeah. Um, I can sure, can I also... Sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Just before no, 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 sorry, that, sorry No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Before we lose that last image of Levatsky, I just wanted to point out it looked very much like she was shedding a skin. And if you look at it, um, you can almost see an eye, which sort of makes it look snake-like as well. Was that something that you thought of, Jin? Was that I didn't? So
8: no, no, that's a great point. So if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see the girl wearing an identical shawl with its black so people who are just listening it's it's like a black shawl with a gold border and then there's a moon and a sun you can't really tell from that picture that there's a moon and the sun one is on the right side and one is on the left side and um there's other pictures that ashley and i both like found that you can see more of the i guess the patterning but like again the black and gold banal it's like very I am like the queen of the desert and her eyes she's
2: I think uh, I think uh, oh Jen oh. Jen I'm echoing I'm echoing or do you guys not you guys not hear that
4: yeah
5: you're echoing yeah
4: you're echoing
3: Everything's echoing everything now. is echoing now
5: Jin is, uh, he was speaking. I could see his, um, audible visual thing.
8: So, sorry about that. I
5: there apologize.
8: My mic. Um, sorry, I was using a Bluetooth mic and it died. So anyways, yes, no, I totally agree. So that I just, it's, to me, it's very serpentine. That even is like, if you're looking at it from a Masonic perspective, like the two pillars, the pillar of severity and the pillar of mercy, that's what they're called in Kabbalah as well as Masonry. That, the dragon climbs up both pillars. So the snake symbolism, when it ends at Benah, is when the dragon, which is electricity, so just basically exactly what we're doing now, like using electronic devices, having a conversation, like all over the world, that is the crystallization of that energy, is in that sphere. So I just think that that's very interesting, and I'm really glad you picked up on that.
5: It's um, it's almost like it, it's becoming more in our face but yet you have to be more tuned into it like you have to it's it, it is really is in plain sight but you anyone who's not aware of this stuff is is not going to have any idea are they what what i'm saying is it seems to be coming a little bit more hidden a little bit more complicated um like they weren't blatantly obvious those pillars but when you point them out they become more obvious so yeah i think uh it would we it would do us well to learn more about symbology because that's the language they speak
8: Yeah. And, you know, Ashley and I had a great conversation about like how the pillars, if you, okay, so just take away all the esoterica, just take away all of that. Just say what they are there. It's the right, it's the right hand of politics and the left hand of politics. It's the Hegelian dialectic and it's the merging in the middle, in the center pillar. That's, that's all it is. It's the antithesis, antithesis, synthesis, and the other thing. Which I can't obviously I can't. Have to do it. <laughs> but anyways, yes. No, it's, that's what it is. I mean, Hegel is an alchemist. Hegel was like a deep occultist, like very occult. And so everything that we understand for pol- from politics now that's practiced, and I know we're all more liberty minded. So we're, we try and you know aim more for the middle pillar or like a more moderated, not moderate, but just a moderated response, like an anti-war response. That's a very l- middle pillar thing. But they don't want that, neither the left and the right, because I have seen the most bloodthirsty posts from both the left and the right. Like I'm talking about the far left. I'm not talking necessarily like center left, like Democrats who seem to be going more for the Zionist narrative. And then you have like the right wing who's like kind of some people are really bloodthirsty and some people are kind of like... mm, they don't like israel so they're more anti but i think that like taking sides is wrong i just not wrong i'm not putting a moral value on it i'm just saying that it's really we we cannot interfere i think a really anti-war position is just like total anti-intervention that's just my opinion that's just my opinion
3: yeah and i do i have seen kind of the meme out there they're like oh well it was nice having you anti-war right for just you know a year or so because they're back and they're calling for Gaza and the Palestinian people to be turned into glass, they're literally saying that. Well, oh, I just I, think I that, have.
4: Sorry, I have a problem with with calling those people right because they're they're just the right spectrum of of just more liberals. They're not really right, right. wing.
3: You're right. So yes. they're
4: they're what we call conservatives, and they will do any damn <laughs> thing they can possibly do to bend over and lick the butt of Israel. And that's just how they are.
7: Yes.
8: No, a hundred percent. Great point. But I, I personally am thinking that this might be a maneuver to get us into like, so it's basically like they, so say this was an obvious total hypothetical, just like they allowed it in. They allowed like the, that border to be crossed. Okay. Just, just hypothetically, just in a thought experiment. And then they showed the things on social media that they showed, which seemed very, we'll say Instagram worthy in the sense that a lot of the videos were very well done. And, um, so then they divide us, they, you know, and we are all liberals in some way of thinking because we all live in a liberal kind of our post liberal world, at least. So everyone will have some liberal opinions, you know, wherever we fall, just because that's what everything around us is. So I just think, you know, they're trying to, like, make it so we have to take sides. And that's why I'm, like, very against taking sides. It's not that I don't think that one side is definitely obviously the history of israel is very occult in and of itself the lord of the balfour declaration all of that like who was in in that and cecil rhodes as we know from ground theft world and all of that so i just you know i just think that they are playing the great game that they've always played it's always been about solomon's capstone which is you want to talk about like occultism that is the capstone at al aqsa mosque is the capstone from the second temple so i just think that's really crazy And they're fighting over that
4: what's interesting too about solomon is that that he was probably kind of you know one of an early mason you know because he uh though the masons all revered uh solomon and the king of tyre who they're always talking about hiram the king of tyre that was that was the uh that was the guy who helped solomon build the uh build the temple and solomon was doing all kinds of crazy stuff he was summoning things and uh, he was binding demons, summoning angels, summoning jinn, just doing all kinds of stuff to build this this temple. It was I mean, I I would think that God would think that it's that temple is an abomination based off of what Solomon did to build it.
8: I I totally agree with you. I'm like, I mean, I'm not anti-Solomon in that. I think that in the history of. Um, well, we'll call it Christianity that I think he's like an interesting figure. I don't necessarily think, I do think he was like a magician. I'm not saying he wasn't, I'm not doing apology for him, but I'm just saying in the, looking at it for as a tradition, you have different t- people or prophets, leaders that are flawed or not, and some are more holy than others. And, you know, Solomon did preside over the second temple period. So it, the temple would not have been dedicated to one God. And, Someone else, one of my mutuals on Twitter was talking about the curse of Ashira and how that is so prevalent right now, especially with the sevens talking about seven, seven, seven. That is like that is Crowley's Babylon horn number. So I just I think that's very interesting as well, just to throw that out there.
3: I I would agree with that um, because I think it's interesting that they're finding and I'm not saying if these women are actually real or if they're actors or whatever. I'm not saying they are whores, but I'm saying that they do sort of fit the symbology for that role, uh, for that position. Um, And this is the last image that I was going to bring up here. Uh, Jen, that you had shared. So the girl for people who are listening only on the right hand side, we have another very beautiful young girl who was also allegedly taken by Hamas. This is a different person, but uh, Jen saw some symbology in that. So I just wanted to have you uh, explain this one and then I'll be done with my uh, screen share. And I appreciate your patience, Mike, on that.
8: No, so the, on the right-hand side is the whore of Babylon. This is from a 14th century British text. And then on the right, I think right-hand side, yes, right-hand side is, I say left. Okay, so the left-hand side is the whore. I'm sorry, I did, the girl is not a whore. I'm not saying that. I'm just mixed up with my sides. So the left-hand side is the whore of Babylon riding the seven-headed chimera. And then you have... And she's about standing on the stone. So she's standing on what is considered to be the Solomon's capstone. And then you have a girl sitting there, a very beautiful girl sitting on a stone over like the, but the river kind of is serpentine and it kind of weaves in. and And that's a very alchemical idea. And it's called riding the dragon and you have her shirt is in very specific colors. And I know it doesn't look exactly like the image, but if you deal cult the colors that really make sense from a Kabbalistic perspective, you have the maroon, which is like the red, which is obviously like um, considered to be the mother of severity. And then you have the turquoise, which is like, um, and you see there's a, in the image of the horror from Babylon, you see, I forgot who it is now, but it's, it, I think it's the false prophet. He is wearing like a blue um, kind of like um a gown, I'd say, like a magician's gown, kind of. And so she has like a turquoise in her shirt. And then you have uh, the white, which is the white celestial river, which is also the dragon, which is also smoke. Also, interestingly, we are in the Mars Ketu alignment right now. Ketu is the dragon's tail and it has a, in it's considered to be composed of smoke. So I just think that that's very interesting. You just have so many layers. And then also the two mountains in the background, if you can see that, it makes like a triangle. So when the mother descends, she descends into the valley. And then you have the right-hand pillar and the left-hand pillar, which are also symbolized by mountains. So I just, I think that's very interesting. I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just saying it's interesting.
5: It is very interesting. And her head is right where the mountains meet and the river comes from oh
8: yes and i should just point out that in a more like very deep occult understanding her touching her head because the whore of babylon always holds the cup it's very like important to her symbolism she's always holding the cup of like it's all the it's kind of like pandora's box is how i've heard it described before but there's another understanding when you see the girl touching her head is that it can also be considered to be a skull cup so she's touching her own head and exactly so there's a buddhist image obviously in buddhism we do not do any kind of like um blood offerings like none of that but it's internal it's like a internal perception of giving offerings so that you kind of clear them away from yourself like all of your sins all of your like bullshit all the things that you've like done in your life you kind of like put it into a wrathful offering and give it to the deity. So the deity then consumes it. Then you can like move on to your next stage. So I'm just, I'm offering that idea of the skull cup. And I think mm. that that's very interesting because you can't really see what her other hand is holding either. So I think that's also very interesting. And I think it's her, sorry, go ahead. So
5: I'm sorry, just while we're on that moment. Um, well, there's two things there. One is that hand is up. The other one looks like it's probably down. So there again, we've got the as above, so below, possibly, um, 100%. And the other thing was I was just like I'm just thinking okay so they're, hold, they're holding the cup um it looks like you know the holy grail um then I'm sort of thinking about you know as what is internal you know heaven is inside Jesus said that himself Luke 17:20 yes. I think it was um so it's like well he's the I am holding the head the head is what's inside my mind you know my my inner being my inner understanding that's the Holy Grail, the cup being held in her hand. I don't know. I'm just making those connections. I no, don't know. no, no. That no, might that... be the basis of a whole religion. I don't know.
8: <laughs> no, I think it's also really interesting to look at the Kabbalah tree. Like what is the top of the tree is is the sphere called Kether, which is the crown. She's touching her temple, which yeah, is like okay. considered the crown of the head. That's, to me, that's very, that stands mm. out.
5: And then we've got the Corona crown virus uh that is screwing people up you know crossing the blood brain barrier at all sorts of things there so that's also an interesting they're trying to destroy the holy grail almost perhaps i'm just spit yeah the cup of life
8: (laughs) the cup no it's the cup of life that like gives us Mm. the ability to remember so in a buddhist way of thinking it's to remember who we are to remember that we are special, that we are God's creation, that we have the power to kind of like overcome all this bullshit that they put in front of us. It's that's kind of the idea is that we forget.
5: Yes. And that's why Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within, because if we know that we can sit in peace and not be in fear. So,
8: 100%.
2: So this is this is me and OG dad bod right now.
5: The
7: numbers, what do they mean? I don't know anything about any numbers.
2: We don't know shit about the numbers. All right. OG. Yeah, OG I don't know how me follow that. This shit. Yeah, yeah. You I know, haven't you know, microdosed my autism uh, much this
3: month. <laughs> well, it's, I think...
2: It's a dense topic.
9: We'll say it that. Is
3: a, it's a very dense topic. I think that everybody... Something that I've observed that everybody in the liberty and the truth space has their own, uh, areas that they spur out about as, uh, to quote Ando, right. Um, so like, for example, Stella is very into the weather modification, very educated on that particular subject. Meanwhile, I'm like, they can do it whatever i'll defer to stella so i think that it's it's fine that not every and i understand not everybody's going to be into the symbology and the the numerology <clears throat> aspect of it um, but i do think these things are important to consider in what you're being shown maybe it's nothing but i don't believe that i think it's something and i'm with stella and jen and and i think ando as well that they are trying to say Something at least to each other, if not to us. If
2: the I end may. of a. Uh, I go
4: Revelation, ahead. I Revelation, sixteen nineteen. I'm going to skip to the end of it. Uh, uh And and great Babylon came in remembra- remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of wine of the fierceness of His wrath.
8: Yup. Thank wow. you, Ando, I see this is where I need, I need the whole like show. I need all of you guys to like help me where the the parts that I'm weak and I, you know, the textual stuff for in that way, I need that. So thank you so much for bringing that. Cause I think that really is and, so important.
4: So that, that religion, um the, the basically it's, it, I I call it really the religion of the uh, the Pharisees um but they carry on more of babylon's traditions than babylon does because they were exiled there for so long and that's where they learned their money magic and a bunch of other things that they're still up to today so i would say that that they're more of an extension of babylon than anything and uh and that's of course why it's also uh often associated with hollywood
8: as well hundred percent you know drew drew missing from missing the point he's amazing we know drew yeah i we know love drew <laughs> i know he does shout out to drew he is really yeah, good true. at tracing the inversionism he's really good at it like i say like it props to him i told ashley this is also i just because i think he's really good at it and him and i i'm not saying that my conclusions are as good as his because i defer to him but i'm just saying that i think i agree, and i agree with what ando's saying it's it's totally babylonian it's a hundred percent babylonian it's like you look at the texts that were codified and when they were codified, and you have like the Zohar in the eighth century, and then you have, um, you know, there was a famous priest um, called uh, Cordovero, and he was a very famous rabbi and um, kabbalist. He wrote a very beautiful book, actually. It's called The Orchard of Pomegranates, and I've been reading it. It's like a, it cost me like nine hundred bucks, so I'm just I'm gonna read it. So, uh, Ouch. yeah, but it's, it's like 21, it's 21, um, books. So it's okay. But, <laughs> but, uh, it's very beautiful. And I can see he was actually trying to rectify the inversionism. Like I can see what he's talking about. He's talking about like every sphere is really not a sphere. It's just ways to understand God, different densities to give, to take away the correspondences that had been added to God throughout the different, periods, and then there was a different Kabbalist about 300 years later called Isaac Lurias, which is who I think is the beginning of Sabbateanism, although it's not Sabbatai Zevi. But he took what Cordovero had done, which was a very beautiful book, and he totally inverted it and said, oh, no, there's there's not just a single tree. God is not just one. It's like many, and it's it's God the many, and it's uh, polytheist Yahwehism, and every sphere can be, is the whore of Babylon. And, like, look, in in Tibetan Buddhism we have like a very similar idea but we do not call her like a whore and she's not a god but she's like it's a more conceptual idea so I just want to point that out that you know the trinity and the triune god or the idea of like the three or even the trivium Ashley and I talked about this on the NED episode or the NDE episode it it's totally impo- it's impossible to like go away from that it just is it's reoccurrent. it's in everything it seems to be really important so i just you know they took it and they made ashira to be the whore but like a lot of the other central asian religions didn't really view it like that but there's also another view which i'll just before i finish and i'll let, let you guys like talk about it is that um ashira became the whore because they kept doing blood sacrifice and black magic So she really like the idea is, is that it's just like the unification. It's just like God is one thing. God is like beautiful and like above Kether. So it's like, it's a very lovely concept actually. Um, So all of God's parts are unified in that one above the sphere. So, but they kept doing this, these black magic sacrifices on the specific mountain and they found so much archeological evidence of, they had this like system where they would write these curse tablets and they're actually even called curse tablets And they would spread out into Central Asia and write the curse tablets and then throw them into, like, cracks in the earth or volcanoes. So it's this idea of kind of, like, zipping and unzipping. So by doing that, they kind of sinned against God. So then they had to rectify that. Then, like, then I said, like, you have another rabbi coming and, like, um, kind of disassembling that. And then so it's like this inversion, fixing, inversion, rectification. So it's like a constant process, like a cycle. Sorry,
5: I know I went on a long time. Anyways. Can I just... Mike, do you want to say something?
2: Uh, go ahead. Go ahead.
5: Just while we're talking about dropping things into volcanoes and cracks in the earth, etc., it just spurred uh, something from my memory, which was my ex-best friend, um, she was seeing a pilot at the time. And he used to do... He was a Qantas pilot, but he also used to do private charters and things like I guess on weekends or time off or whenever and one of the things that he was doing was um doing small this is down in Tasmania one of the things that he was doing was doing small flights around the place with um some Buddhists and dropping like little prayer things and I don't know what exactly they were I never got to see one he I don't even know if he did but prayer that's flags
2: what, are you talking about uh, no Tibet, more like Tibetan messages
5: prayer. or capsules Mm. of something Mm. so I guess they had writings inside them like blessings I suppose but you know who knows what they were (laughs) maybe that was the inverted story I don't know but he has interestingly and unfortunately he has since committed suicide so
8: wow Well, so we do do mountain god offering I will just say that but I, I don't know if that's what they were doing I mean you know there's the inversionism is in every religion really It doesn't really, you know, there's no real boundaries of where and who became, like, the the whole idea is wolf in sheep's clothing, right? So they entered everything. It's like the entrance into all religions, all faiths, and trying to, like, not follow what they said. And trying to, like, do the right thing. Rectify, like, your own life. Not, like, uh, sin against God. Not continue the transgression.
2: So if I may, if I may, um, I, you know, I'm a little overwhelmed personally with all of this. Um, Sorry, Mike, the, I I, you it's, know. well, no, it's, 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 it's a, it's a good thing, but I'm, you know, I, I always, um, I'm, I'm, I stay in the earth. I, well, you know, it, it, I'm on the ground here, you know, I'm like, all this stuff is new to me. You know, I've been picking stuff up right I've been convinced for a couple of years now that we are waging spiritual warfare. Um, But I, you know, I always was more interested in tangible things. Right. Um, And I say this to say, I have a clip that is like, I'm seeing a lot of synchronous synchronicities here. I grabbed a handful of clips, but I'm probably only going to use like one or two of them. But this, this history of Hawaii, um, like, for the last few hundred years um i long story short i was with my friend at the you know at the campsite last night him and i were in school together i went into the national park service in utah talked about it on the last episode he went into the park service as an intern in hawaii and he he's a guy with perspective and he was talking about how just the the Hawaii as a symbol of the passage of time right you have these teeny tiny little crumbling islands that are the oldest and then you've got these big islands that are relatively new in geological terms and and there's all this history of the Polynesian people who settled there and were independent tribes and then were eventually all conquered and sort of this you know the thing about islands is they're you know they operate in a vacuum, so they're sort of a microcosm of what happens to the rest of us. And I don't know, I, I found this to be interesting, but it, it connects a lot with what you guys are talking about as far as like blood sacrifice and sort of the hijacking of empathy for war, I, I think. The the use of this, you know, the, the sacrificial whore you know it almost makes me think of like helen of troy at the same time and like the fact that they could convince a nation to go to war over a woman um or women or women and children i mean these are tactics that are old as time so i you know i'm not by any means when i say i'm bringing a different perspective here i don't want it to seem as if um i'm disagreeing with anything i'm just this this to me was worth playing at this point. So let's watch, you know, not all of it, but you'll get the idea. Um, I'm just going to let it roll here for a minute.
0: A great disturbance had come over the kingdom. A boy of very noble blood had been born, and the mystic seers counseled the king that the child would become a killer of chiefs would rule the whole of this island called Hawaii. So King Alapa'i sent out assassins to kill the child, but the boy's mother was a cunning chiefess and she had arranged for him to be raised by another family in hiding. For five years, the boy eluded this death sentence until the king welcomed him back to court. He grew tall and powerful and brooding. He bore the godly mark of prophecy, and he was called Kamehameha, which meant The Lonely One. King Kalaniopuu had taken the throne sometime after the death of Alapa'i. But now he was dying, and the matter of succession was at hand. There were jealous chiefs vying for lands, and hardly three years had passed since white men first visited these shores. The finest leader to succeed him was his strong nephew, Kamehameha, but the king intended to leave the throne to his eldest son, Kiwalao, and merely granted some land to Kamehameha and designated him Keeper of Ku, the War God. The religion of these islands had descended from that of the famed Polynesian explorers, who centuries before discovered and settled the archipelago. Soon blossomed among the people the essence of aloha, a blissful force manifested in kindness and familial love, and they cultivated a love for the land, from the coral beds flecked with brilliant creatures to the tall and sleeping rims of volcanoes. The gods had suffused this world with mana, a spiritual energy that permeated all things and prayers and people, but mana was not evenly distributed those of noble blood possessed it in great quantities, and so kings and chiefs claimed the right to issue kapu, spiritual codes of conduct. Kapu demanded commoners lower their heads before chiefs and stipulated that women could not dine with men, nor could women consume the divine foods of pork, bananas, or coconuts. The punishment for breaking the kapu was death and from the bones of those sacrificed or otherwise slain one could reap the mana of their enemies now denied his place on the throne kamehameha defied the king he sacrificed a rebellious noble and took the mana for himself Kulaniopuu was dead, and his furious, disinherited son, Keua, attacked Kamehameha's lands, killed some of his people, and offered their bodies in sacrifice to his half-brother, the new king, Kiwalao. Kamehameha rallied his chiefs for war. The warriors clashed with jagged clubs and barbed spears, and on the battlefield, King Kiwalao was struck down by a stone. One of Kamehameha's warriors fell on him with a sharp-toothed dagger and slashed his throat. Kamehameha now reigned over half of the island. Keua fled south, swearing vengeance, and for years he and the other chiefs would bitterly contain Kamehameha's attempts at further expansion. The battle lines held firm. Something was needed to break them. (laughs)
2: All right, I'm gonna pause there. Um, we can come back to this if you guys find it intriguing. But I, you know, obviously there's a whole lot of lore about blood sacrifice in Hawaii. Uh, you know, sort of pre-Western influence, right? And um, talking with my friend last night, he mentioned this conqueror king, right, who took over the entire archipelago before it was essentially colonized shortly thereafter by, I believe one of his descendants or something, but you know, a queen, which is in a you know, I have another clip of that, which is also interesting. You know, to me, this is what I call human ecology. It's like people have been killing each other and taking over lands and conquering and all these different religions with their occult symbol, you know, symbology, right. Um, the fact that it is, it is so similar makes you wonder if there are similar spirits at play being expressed in different ways. Like they talk about how the, the spirit of Aloha of kindness and generosity sort of reigned for a certain time before this war broke out. And to me, that sounds a whole lot like the message of Christ. Right. And like these, these stories and these religions seem to have so much in common just like, like we, you know, with language barrier comes a a difference of expression, right? I'm not, you know, I don't know any thoughts at this point. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm just seeing there's there's overlap, right?
4: Are you familiar with Joseph Campbell?
2: So I I think, is this somebody associated with the story of Hawaii or no?
4: no, no he okay no he's He studied a, a bunch of mythology, a bunch of religions and everything and kind, kind of found the uh, the common bond that unites them. there's like there's things like the hero's journey, etc. I'm sure somebody else here
8: knows more on this any of y'all Uh, I do, but I feel like I've taken up a lot of like, uh, (laughs) so I won't, I'm not going to jump in.
2: Give us, give us any thoughts.
8: Well, okay. So I thought that was a great, it was like very, um, synchronistic Mike that you added that. And then I love the addition of my, of Joseph Campbell. So Joseph Campbell really believe that this is the idea that I'm kind of coming to too, that we do live in like a perennial system. Like there is a kind of a perennial religion. Now I do view it like Christianity isn't innovation because we don't need to do blood sacrifice because it's already been done for us. So I do believe that every cycle there's an innovation that moves us closer to like being more not unified with God, but just like closer to being more God like, more like better as like better as a humanity, not just like so caught in low desires. So I do think that Christianity is a great innovation. I'm a big fan of Jesus in that way. And um, I think that, but I think what is really interesting about Hawaii is the idea of the volcano. And sometimes um, volcanoes can produce lightning. So like, think of like, if anyone's familiar with like Randall Carlson or that whole like Bajra thing, like in, Buddhism, Vajra is the pristine diamond thunder energy. But it isn't really like this free, like I know that's what his thing is, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just, my own perspective is that it is, it's literally just raw. It's like our internal energies that we purify through hermeneutic practices with the text, and then we have Vajra in ourselves. That's really what Buddhism is talking about. But there's this other idea that you can access that power and cause it to descend so the descending mother and when it happens over the volcano that is her symbol and i will just say that in hawaii there are many uh, like um, vajrayana temples some japanese some tibetan and they do offer sacrifices to pele and when i say sacrifices i'm talking about like cakes like little they're called tormas they're just little like offering cakes so they do offer it to pelly but she is not considered to be like a buddha or anything she's considered to be just like a worldly goddess so very ferocious very like you just propitiate her to kind of keep her happy but i just i think that's really interesting as well to bring that kind of like full circle and joseph campbell also believed that we live in a perennial system and i just think that you can like look and see I think that there was more unified tradition. That's my personal opinion. It's just that I think there was a more unified tradition. I think it spread out. I think it became like more of these like shamanism, like kind of religions. I don't look at shamanism in the way that some people look at it, where they kind of um, deify it, if you want to call it that. I look at it more as a degrading. So anyways, anyone can jump in.
2: Well, I I saw Ando wanted to jump in. I just have one quick thing to say about a volcano in Hawaii that my friend told me last night. He said he knows a guy that he worked with who you all remember the um, missile warning, right? The nuclear missile warning that went out onto everybody's cell phones in Hawaii and everybody thought they were about to die. You remember that story, right? Okay, good. Good. So apparently, this guy that he worked with, when he got that text, he said, "Fuck this, I'm not gonna die." And because he worked with the Park Service, he knew about this outpost because he had worked at this outpost like like a lot um, (laughs) in a in a dormant volcano, like way down in there, right? And he's like, "I'm going for the volcano." he he stole the national parks mule team grabbed a 12 gauge shotgun and a shovel i guess because he knew what tools were already down there and he knew there wasn't a shovel and he's like all i needs a shovel and a 12 gauge and i'll be all right and it's full of canned goods and shit already and shit anyways it's like he it's a funny story because his instinct in a time of crisis or or perceived crisis where he thought you know, nuclear fucking weapons were heading towards Hawaii. He went to the center of the volcano out of some kind of instinct. You know, I don't, that's kind of bizarre. Apparently he got in some trouble for stealing the mules. Uh, when he got, you know, he, he stayed there for like 48 hours and then came out <laughs> and his bosses were pissed, but yeah. Anywho, what, what'd you have there for Sando?
4: Uh, that's that's a cool story. Um, what I was going to bring up there was uh, Genesis 6, 4, and there were giants on the earth in those days. And after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bear children with them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So these are like, I think that these are a lot of these, you know, demigods that that you hear about throughout, you know, whether it be Heracles or Maui or any of these you know uh that you hear throughout the cultures throughout the world i remember this is this is all of our story uh and really our enemies are those who tried to occult it um there's so many versions of this story that are that are dead now because because of things like the library of alexandria burning and and just the way that that information is trying to be occulted you know You know the meaning of the word occult. You know, hide it, and and people like the the Vatican, for instance, who uh, who try to keep all this information from us. And then, um, and then there's people that don't do a lot of justice to uh to translations. But but the you know the the entire history of the world is, you know, it's like we get this really great version. Uh, with Genesis but then there's six or seven different versions of Genesis and, and, and Yasher being one of the more common ones that, that you can find and uh, and it's got details that were left out of there. there's a, there's a whole bunch of details that are hidden in um, you know and, and it, I think it's just important to uh, to figure out the history of the world and, and to figure out where we're sitting right now.
8: I totally agree, Ando. I think that was really great, the, the text you used or the verse you used. I think that's really interesting, and I just, I'll just throw in that when the Hawaiians found Hawaii, so the, the I, anthropological idea is the Hawaiians came from Taiwan. I don't really know if I buy that myself. It sounds very strange. But when the Hawaiians came to what is called Hawaii, there were little people called the Menehune who lived there. So I'll just throw that out there, but I think that's really interesting as well.
5: Something that I was thinking about while I was watching all that was um, just basically human sacrifice, human sacrifice to Baal. And uh, it took me back to the 2022 Commonwealth Games. I don't know if you want to roll this or not, but I'll just put it there. That's, that's a cube. That's with a time mark. Um, yeah, it just took me back to that with uh, – they were showing us. Um, and you think about sort of what's been happening since then. Um, there's quite a, There's been quite a lot of – well, or obviously – Yeah, I'm just bringing that back into the psyche, basically. So, this is, yeah, this is the. I'm not
2: familiar with this, so. um, Oh, really? Okay,
5: strap yourself in. (laughs) This is the 2022 Commonwealth Games opening ceremony. This is part of it. Later.
7: I I had never heard its name, but I would come to understand it through the doctors and nurses at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. It is my honor to say, welcome to Birmingham.
0: But of course, for all the colour and noise, the characters, the invention, there was a dark side
1: to the Industrial Revolution, a darker side to the bullring. As the beat pounds
5: to remind us of the relentless drive of industry, they drag a beast, a bull,
7: ten metres high.
1: Enraged by injustice, the bull breaks free and causes pandemonium.
7: Bulls were baited and sold here in the city century
5: for centuries.
1: It's no doubt going to be up to Stella and the Dreamers to try and halt the bull.
5: Stella offers friendship and compassion to tame the beast. Hello, Burningham, you rights.
2: What the fuck was that about? Should I, should I keep playing it, Stella? <laughs> yeah, that, that well, if, if, you wa-
5: if you want to say it,
2: yeah. uh, it. There's more weirdness? This is pretty weird already, man.
5: Yeah, it gets do we, weirder.
2: Do we want to break <laughs> any of it down? So she was holding a glowing crystal. I saw that. Um... Dragging yep. a bull. I mean, we
5: probably need to describe it for the listeners. So there's a giant yeah. metallic-looking bull, like it's huge, um, being dragged in uh, to the ceremony area, and uh, there's lots of people around. They're all sort of doing horns with their fingers <laughs> on their heads and things. Um, and there's this particular lady called Stella, <laughs> good one, uh, who seems to be able to tame the bull. And it, that also took me back to uh, Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> Remember that when he tamed the the wild bull with his and his hands were like the bull horns, you remember that? Maybe not. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I'm getting off the track. Alright, so back to the opening ceremony. So Stella is going to tame the beast, basically, I suppose, and I guess the symbology in her name, etc. Um Yeah, I guess that just anything adding there. Does anyone want to add anything to that before we play again? It's probably a really lousy description. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, yeah. anyone, everyone's around in a circle now. They're all circling the bull. And uh, I think Stella's about to go in and and tame this thing. So let's keep playing.
7: I'm exhausted. I've been training for this all week.
0: Please welcome our Commonwealth champions. Northern Ireland.
5: Oh, okay. Maybe, McHugh
0: long
1: alongside-
5: uh, okay. maybe not. Okay, maybe not. There's other footage on YouTube. Yeah. It's just the one I quickly grabbed because I it thought it made me think of it, the human sacrifice events that have taken place since that. Yeah, yeah and
3: perfect. I yeah, I was thinking about that, Stella. The um it was interesting to me. What you could observe with your eyes looked very demonic, and yet the announcers were like, Oh, this is about the industrial revolution. I mean, it reminds <laughs> me of exactly what we live in today. Like you see something but then you have the official voice that's telling you what you actually see even though it's it's not true
5: yeah telling you what to see basically what
3: to
2: didn't, think about
5: yeah. what you're
2: didn't it say uh, the announcer say something about um the bowl was like enraged about injustice which which makes me think about um like the 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 use of this idea of injustice like to, to justify evil right you hurt me so i'll hurt you right that's that's what it comes down to it's this this um this craving for power for mana as far as the hawaiian thing goes like the taking of another's like life force by conquering them you know the vampire we've talked about the the I guess mythology and the symbolism of a vampire being something you have to allow. You have to invite them in to let them drain you of your life force and the blood sacrifice involved and you know, eternity of hell after whatever, you know, this is all it's there's so many overlapping storylines in my opinion.
5: Yeah, well, they need your consent, and this is sort of revelation of the method. So basically, I suppose if nobody really does anything or speaks up about it or what have you, it's it's basically you're giving consent. So it's the way it seems to work, right, Jin?
8: Okay, I just want to say I know I already magic pilled everybody tonight, and I apologize for that. No, um, please Ashley, don't. blame <laughs> Ashley. She invited me. So. <laughs> I will just say that, honestly, my jaw was, like, on the floor for the few first... I've never seen that clip because, like, I'm a ludite. like you, saw like, I don't know what's going on at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... Good place to be. Okay, so, I, I agree, but looking... Okay, so when Malia was speaking, she is... They literally choreographed her to stand on a sphere, a Kabbalah sphere. Her colors, her ba- the ba- white background, the cloudy white background, standing on the island in the middle of the water. I mean, all of that is chokma. That is like, it's 100% there. The turquoise, it means the pristine of the sky. It's it's just, it's cr- it was like crazy to me, honestly. I just was dying to say that. But anyways, I saw that now.
5: Oh, wow. Yeah, so you saw different things. That's incredible. Well, okay, so... Oh, sorry, Ashley, go ahead.
3: I was just going to say really quickly. So what it what it remind me of well actually I lost my place sorry sorry go back Jen go ahead
8: I apologize that was totally my fault um okay so no I just it was really crazy the whole Malia thing and the her colors and even wearing the scarf like a over her, I know she's Muslim or supposedly Muslim, but she's wearing the scarf that kind of covers her hair. I mean, that it even like if I showed you the picture of the goddess that's supposedly there at that sphere, it, it looks like one to one. It's like almost like crazy. So I just think that's really wild. And then the choreography of like, it's almost like a cemetery, if you want to say that, like when they're doing the bull dance. And it, in Buddhism, we have the idea of the god of death is called Yama and he is like a giant buffalo. And I think that also like matches very well to what we saw. And I mean, that is crazy that she's standing upon the supernal ocean. That's what it would mean. She's literally standing above the water and the background is like the sky color. And that is the smoke or the clouds of the sky that we can see. And so I just want to also say that a spell is not just like, is not, It's really not magic that you do in the privacy of your bedroom or wherever you're doing it. That's not really what magic is. Magic is sound. It is speech, both gross and subtle speech. It is colors and it is light and it is the viewer perceiving it. that's, That's all the components of a spell. So TV is like the perfect medium for a spell. So I'll just say that.
2: This is a very, it's very powerful imagery is what it is. It's like Joe Biden's speech with all the red and the stormtroopers. It's like, that is a spell that they're trying to cast. Yeah.
5: That was was excellent points, Jin. And um, also that lady in the aqua, I don't know if anyone else noticed, but this is something I've noticed consistently actually. And it's really subtle and I might be speaking out my bum here, but you notice her left eye. Oh, Nice. <laughs> Notice her left eye, it sort of closes a little bit. And this is something that I've noticed a lot. See? Her left eye sort of more no. closed than the right one sometimes. It's just like that Katy Perry thing, which then later on she said, oh, yeah, now that's just something I do. Um, and I've noticed it on other things, um, some hosts and some photographs. It's just something subtle. I haven't really talked about it, but let's talk about it. <laughs>
8: No, that's an my, amazing point. My eye does that
4: whenever I drink a lot.
5: Yeah, mine also the natural thing, you know, some people do yeah. have a lazy yeah. eye, so we got to take that into account. Yeah. But um Jin, yeah, what you you think that's a point about something?
8: Oh, yeah. 100 like okay, so there's an idea and if anyone watches occult um the occult rejects and friends with NYP, he did a whole series on the eye and how the eye really is where all the magic takes place because it's where colors happen, it's a sphere, it's like, anyways, people can go watch that. But I just think it's really interesting, because it's said that magicians often have eye problems. It's very common Mm. that people who cross or play in the spheres, is what it's called, they will come back, when you come back to what we would call Malkuth, so Earth, you would have eye problems, because it's like all the magic's happening in your eye. So you, so you see this a lot, like you see it with Crowley, you see it with Madame Blavatsky, mm. you see it with Kenneth Anger, all of them. And you'll see like Bono. Bono always wears like the colored glasses. Um, Damien Eccles always wears mm. colored glasses. All, all of them because it really fucks up your eyes. I'm, I'm just telling you. And that's not my theory too.
5: Yeah. And then, of course, you've got the um, the Illuminati eye thing where they close, you know, they purposely cover one eye with their hair or their hand or whatever it may be. They're looking through a way or something. Um, and of course, you know, the eyes are the window to the soul. So that's very true in all aspects.
8: <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. And I just well, I'll just refer back to the Travis Scott thing. I think Mike brought it up. That was amazing because he is wearing, when you look at him at the Astro World Concert, he is wearing a shirt that is the blue. I think it's a blue guy. It might be a red guy, but there's a little red like stick figure and he's like crossing. And then the, he crosses like it's like a window or a door or a piece of glass. And then he comes out blue on the other side. So that is called Crossing the Abyss. That's what Crowley mm-hmm. called it. So I think that is really fascinating. And he has a fun, he has a lazy eye too. So I just yeah i just think that's really mm. crazy that no, whole thing it. was like a portal
4: ritual too uh, opening portals 100 percent
8: yeah it was so totally something... a sacrifice but i think
2: sorry now I'm, par- now I'm paranoid about the fact that i have a lazy eye <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay. what, Whoa. what about tom that. york is he is is he a wizard he's got that wacky eye
8: you know, I probably, I pro- he probably is. I mean, they all do it, right? <laughs> like, they all, like, anyone who's, like, around, like, the Kenneth anger, like, they, they definitely sent out people to, like, infiltrate the celebrity sphere. Not that Hollywood isn't occult, like, by itself, but I definitely think that they have, like, people who are high-level Occultists, like there's an idea. I think Julia from Cosmic Peach said Mama Cass was like a Khazarian witch. I actually subscribe to that opinion as well. I think that makes a lot of sense. You have like the Assailant Institute, you have Tavistock, you have Chatham House. They were all into all of this stuff that we're talking about. Like they were really into theosophy. Alice Bailey, Barbara marx Hubbard. I mean, these were all eugenicists. They were all witches. They were all like into this jack parsons like babylon working i mean that's what they call it so i think i think i think if you see notice them doing it i think probably it's more right than not right
5: mm. and it's interesting when you think about just language itself you know we call it we call it spelling mm. power yeah. of words.
4: Uh, while we still have jen here uh a uh, unrelated story but uh that that weird situation where the uh where the guy gets uh, stabbed to death after he he decides to uh, he, okay, so there was this activist uh, blogger guy and he had just finished this wedding and he's he's sitting there at a park bench with his, his girlfriend or a, a, a bus stop with his girlfriend and uh, decides to go up after some crazy kid uh, screaming obscenities as he's walking down the street and then he starts to go over and kick some scooters and he wants to go have a little conversation with him and get stabbed and said instead um, but the woman he was with was definitely into the occult she had uh, witch tattoos all over um, you know anything about that have you have you looked into that at all?
8: So that's a really great question and I really agree with you Ando I think there's something really sus, sus about that I think. You know, the left hand, Ashley and I talked about this, the left hand path is the path of like, um, do what thou will. So like, if you apply that to politics, that's exactly what it is. And even from the French meaning, that's what it is. They sit on the left hand of the throne and the right hand of the altar. I mean, that was the saying. So I just think that, that I totally agree. I think that I, I personally don't really believe that what what we know happened. It doesn't really make sense to me. I think it seems very weird, very occulted. Um, I can't really read it like as like symbolically, but I I agree with you, Ando. I think that she is like it's a very bizarre situation, and the crowd he ran with is a very strange, intel connected like Brooklyn hipster crowd. I just I think there's a very strange scene.
4: I, I had a good joke on it, it was a, a witch and a werewolf who are helping their friend become a ghost.
8: 100%. I mean, that could be interesting of itself.
2: So I'm tempted to to keep with this Hawaii story, once again, as like a historic correlation. I mean, what do you guys think? Can we? Uh, yeah, play that yeah on? sure. I'm yeah? interested. Okay. It's, I, I think there's so many parallel lines to be drawn so um yeah here we go this is where it's getting into like uh europeans making contact
0: simon metcalf cruised off the island of maui in search of vengeance some of the native people had killed one of his crew in retaliation for captain Metcalf's flogging of a noble chief for a perceived insult and so now the american trader laid anchor at the village of Oluwalu warmly called out to trade, and when a hundred unarmed men and women paddled out with fruits and flowers, gave the order to bury them in cannon fire. Metcalf then fled the Screaming Bay. He had come to the islands to rendezvous with his son Thomas, who soon arrived in his own vessel to trade on Hawaii, ignorant of the deeds of his father. Hawaiians captured the ship, forced the crew overboard, and then beat them to death with paddles. They spared only one Isaac Davis for his brave spirit, and together with a captured member of the elder Metcalf's crew, John Young, they went before King Kamehameha. The king calmly offered the two prisoners a choice. They could be killed, or he could lavish them with houses and sumptuous feasts and several beautiful wives, on the condition that they remain in his service as advisors who would train his soldiers to use the muskets and cannons from the captured ship. Young and Davis served him well thereafter and brokered trade with American and British ships, which had begun to frequent the islands in recent years. One trusted member of the king's court, Kaiana, had even visited China and America. Trade granted Kamehameha precisely what he wanted, hordes of guns and cannons to turn against his enemies. For the great Kahikili ruled Maui, and he had slaughtered many in his conquest of Oahu. And there he lived in a house built from the bones of the chiefs who defied him. The man was rumored to be the true father of Kamehameha, but it mattered not. Kamehameha invaded Maui and battled against Kahikili's son, Kalani Kupule. Young and Davis manned the cannons, and the Hawaiians killed so many that the river became damned red with bodies. But Kamehameha did not conquer Maui then. In his absence, his old enemy, Keua, had burned through his kingdom on Hawaii. Kamehameha returned with his devastating gunners and forced Keua's army to retreat south into the terrible ashlands. There, a volcano erupted, and a storm of subterranean poison killed hundreds of Keua's men. The elation of victory proved fleeting. Armed with his own guns, Kahekili mounted a coalition of the islands against Kamehameha. His invasion fleet ravaged the sacred temples along the northern shores of Hawaii. Kamehameha met them on the seas, and with muskets and cannons, his men splintered and scattered the invaders. This island could not remain so divided. Kamehameha invited Keua to make peace, and the exhausted rebel came forth in a canoe. Above loomed the king's new lava-stone temple atop the Hill of the Whale, and on the shoreline stood Kamehameha and his warriors. keua could not trust it. He began to cut his own flesh so as to render himself unfit for sacrifice, but the king called out to reassure him, Rise and come here, that we may know each other. So Kiyua approached, and when he stepped onto the beach, Kamehameha and his men killed him and all of his party. The king took their corpses up to the temple, melted their flesh from their bones, and harvested their mana. Thus, Kamehameha ruled supreme over the island of Hawaii. Kahekili died in 1794, succeeded by his son, Kalani Kupule on Oahu, who then conquered Maui and attempted to steal British trade ships for his fleet. Kamehameha did not intend to make enemies of the outsiders. After deftly courting an alliance with British diplomats, he sent out an army of 10,000 warriors. They overran Maui and then proceeded to swarm the hills of Oahu, where they cursed with defenders under the command of a traitor to Kamehameha, Kaiana. They shot a cannonball through him, and the Oahu forces fell back to their camp on the cliffed overlook of Nuuanu (laughs) Pali. Then came the blare of war shells and the wrath of Kamehameha's warriors, who scaled the mountain, shooting and lancing all in their path, until at last the army of Oahu became trapped between their jagged spears and a 1,000-foot drop to the valley below. The men of Kamehameha slew many where they stood, and hundreds more they forced over the precipice. The valley became covered in a sheet of mangled flesh, and the Hawaiians went to behead all of the dead so that their mana would pass to Kamehameha. The body of Kalani Kupule was not among them. Months later, they found him wounded in the mountains, dragged him before Kamehameha at the hill of the whale, and sacrificed him. All of the islands now answered to Kamehameha, all except Koai and its adjacent island of Ni'ihau. Kamehameha launched an invasion of Kauai, but the fleet was thrown into a howling tempest. It was said that some of the survivors made it to the shores of Kauai, where fierce warriors captured and sacrificed them. Hawaiian warfare had long been absolute, no quarter given to civilians. One boy recalled watching Kamehameha's marauders overrun his village and kill his parents. When the boy attempted to escape with his three-month-old brother, they speared the infant. But now Kamehameha was presented with a group of civilians who had years before defended their village by breaking a paddle over his head. The king pardoned them and declared the law of the splintered paddle. See to it that our aged, our women, and our children lie down to sleep by the roadside without fear of harm non-combatants would thereafter be protected by his sacred kapu. Under him the...
2: What do you think, OG? <laughs> we haven't heard from you in a while. Oh, man, I'm I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I,
8: don't I, I think it would be fun to kick somebody into a volcano, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You've got the spirit of a warrior, brother. Spirit of a warrior. But... You know I found that I found that last part interesting where there was like a change in the law like he said the uh the law of broken paddle or what splintered paddle um from here on, women and children will be protected yeah just that that was i that's why I paused it here because I thought that was kind of interesting, but any thoughts at this point
8: I mean I'll go if no one else wants to go <clears throat> I just, I'll also, I will say also where you paused it, Mike, was really occulted. <laughs> so, <laughs> right in the valley between the two mountains. But, anyways, uh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, honestly, the Hawaii <laughs> stuff, there might be an idea there that they're opening the seals described in Revelation of John. So, I've heard people talk about that. That's not necessarily like something I'm super versed in, but I, kind of see it when they're talking about places in Central Asia or like Kazakhstan in that weird Masonic city that they have like very bizarre architecture with the golden pillars and the turquoise domes. and So I personally think that there's totally something there. I don't think that they claim any piece of land that isn't intentional.
5: I've also heard uh, talk about the seven seals being opened and that the first one has just been opened, so that's also open very much to um, translation, uh, d- well, interpretation is the better word. Um, one of the people who speaks about this is Jason Bashirs from Archaics, so if anybody wants to see that slant on it, there's many others. Um, just like the Bi- you know, with everything with the Bible, <laughs> it's all open to interpretation and it has better been to. interpreted many times through the ages um, as to be this is this and that's that and he's that person but uh, I think it's sort of being it's being missed a little bit the the real the real interpretations you know <laughs> I'm not saying I've got them but um I think we're trying to bring that into the, I mean we we have to bring it into the 3D it does manifest in our world but I think we're also trying to put things into a box too much in our own understanding and not we're not open enough to um times and 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 knowledge that we lack um because we're in this world and that was that world and everything was done very differently and things meant different things. And there were rituals that we could not possibly understand, but if you live back then, it would just be an everyday normal thing. So, yeah, I just. But that's the thing. We're
2: we're we're teasing out this idea that things are
8: reciprocal or
2: not reciprocal, yeah. but uh, cyclic. Cyclic. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah, hundred
8: yeah. mm. yeah. percent. Yeah. I mean, that's what, you know, Jason says from archaics. I'm I mean, like, I know Stella's more of a, archaic like she has like the knowledge of what he says. I'm not. I'm just like very superficial. And even for me, like I feel very superficial in the things that I know. Maybe not in a Buddhist or tantric way, but definitely like with the other stuff, I feel very like out of my depth a lot of times. But I just, you know, I kind of like read the text, I look at it and I'm like, okay, this seems so similar. It's like crazy, actually, a lot of the times like with the Malia thing from the, you know, the Sydney games, like I understand that from a tantric perspective, but honestly, it's so translatable to Kabbalah. So to me, that is just like crazy. And you do have a lot of people from certain religions that are in tantric Buddhism. So I'm just going to say that it's just really interesting that I'm I'm clearly not the only one who sees like a similarity.
2: Can I can I, I ask that. you can I ask you, Jin? Um, Jin the ninja, are you are you of like Asian descent? Can I just ask you that?
8: Oh yeah, of course. I've already talked about it on uh, uh, all my shows. So uh, yeah, my dad's from Southeast Asia. So I've never said where, but he's from Indonesia. So, uh, but he's ethnic Chinese.
2: And so, but you, you sound very American. You clearly grew up here,
8: right? yeah i've all I've, I've grown up yeah i i grew up here i went to um i live in uh, i used to live in toronto most of my life actually and i went mm-hmm. to high school in the u.s um mm-hmm. and to an international school and then i came back to canada for university so
2: well i'll 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 be generous and say that canadians are american too um because we're I all so. one we're all one continent and i mean i this is my point like i think geography OK, it's like it's like I've already mentioned it, but I got into an argument, not an argument, but a bit of a spirited conversation with a brother-in-law of mine who's an MD. And we were talking about the laws of thermodynamics, and he tried to assert that they didn't really apply to biology, like to living systems. But I'm like, physics obviously applies to biology. You know, biology is fighting the forces of physics to stay alive, right? Entropy is everywhere. And to me, it's like this um reductionistic idea to say that all that matters are the current borders that we consider quote unquote real. What matters is geography and geology. And you know what I mean what I mean when I say that is like the mountains and the valleys and the plains and the reality of the land in which you reside and the power. <coughs> That are at play in that geographic area, right? These politics are just like a superficial skim over the surface of the the world we exist in, and it's always subject to change,
8: right? Am I making sense? Hundred percent, I'm with you. I'm with you, hundred percent. Everything you just said, I agree. Cosine. Everything. So we're
2: going to get to it with the Hawaii story shortly. But uh, my friend last night, he mentioned we were talking about just this like inevitability of these shifts in power and culture and population, you know, fill in the blank. And how, you know, it's like if America didn't colonize Hawaii, eventually Japan would have, you know, Hawaii is in this weird place right like between the west and the east it's caught in the crossfire so somebody wanted it everybody wanted it you know like it's no mistake that that quote-unquote missionaries you know how often have we heard that word it's it's almost like um the same thing as as pioneer or or even um colonizer i guess but like you know missionaries come before the troops right so like in hawaii it was it was missionaries that initially landed and soon follows the government you know um just a thought there and i'm i'm willing to open it up i you know there's more to this story that i i would like us to get to but feel free to speak your
8: mind I agree. I mean, look at the Jesuits in Asia. I mean, I'll just speak from that because that's more my academic background. Ashley already knows, and so also. But, uh, I mean, the Jesuits went to China. China still had existing Nestorian, Manikian, and some other Eastern Orthodox Church. That totally disappeared when the Jesuits ended up in in shanghai in like the 1680s i want to say so i just think that's really interesting they were obviously looking for stuff i know ando brought up the library of alexandria there's a library in china in the xinjiang province where the uyghurs live that is still preserved and it has 200,000 texts of all different languages so i just want to add that that there are these like weird oasis libraries all over the desert all over mongolia manchuria like there's something very strange that we don't understand about exactly what you said mike about the land that we live on like we don't really know what's like where, where we live i think we don't know
5: yeah, it's just like we don't know so much about the ocean still. There's so much about the ocean. We haven't explored. We haven't been down certain depths. We have we have no idea, really, and same with space, I suppose, if it's not fake and gay. Um, but there are libraries all over the place, uh, like you say. I mean, <laughs> the Vatican's just the most famous one, of course. Um, but I've also heard uh, several theories about life, um, what's, what do you say, uh, originating, I suppose, uh, in, in the Gobi Desert. I mean, that's such an ancient... Area and the eye of the Sahara. I don't know if you guys have sort of looked into that much. Um, the Rashad been... structure in Mauritania. That round, yeah, and yeah, it's sort of, it's... yep. Mm.
4: That, that, uh, the speculation, uh, there's a guy, Jimmy, he does this uh, yeah. channel called Bright Insight. Uh, and yeah, I've been about... following
5: Jimmy for about yep. five, six years. He's awesome.
4: <laughs> oh, cool. We get to talk about Jimmy a little bit. Maybe, oh, uh, cool. maybe we'll find Mike a, a clip. But, uh, but yeah, that, I, I think he's spot on.
5: Yeah. I also question him now. But anyway, um back to this. <laughs> well, I
2: a thought I just had was like we we all have come to understand we cannot trust the history that we're taught. Necessarily doesn't mean there aren't true stories in the histories, but they're slanted or, you know, whatever. They're they're given to us for a certain purpose you know i was never taught in school about exactly what led up to hawaii becoming a us state right like it was just kind of like oh and in this year hawaii became a state and no weird shit happened to make that happen right <laughs> and and yeah i'm just i guess uh i don't have much to add there but the the history is fascinating i will say Like to me, Hawaii is interesting. Like my friend said, it's a it's an image of like the grandness of the scale of time, because of the geology of the islands and the fact that they're literally being born on one side and dying on the other. Like they're withering away to erosion, but yet there's the lava flow. And why that is is because, you know, if you're a flat earther, you probably won't agree. But supposedly, it's because there's a a con- like a heat you know lava lava flow but the continental shelf is moving over top of it right so an island pops up from the lava moves on the next island starts and as they go they they wither any anyways my point in saying this is where i lived in utah you could also like observe the grandness of time like you can at the grand canyon you know any canyon canyon lands you can see the the layers of rock and and i i talked about it last week but the petroglyphs the petroglyphs in the desert show that for some reason people chose to live there and they had time to etch art and it it was without a doubt spiritual in nature much of it and it makes you wonder what they knew what stories they told and i bet you they were not so different
4: it was uh it was on not your mama's news not on uh not on the forum last week that you talked about i
2: suppose it. i suppose you're right about that yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah That was that was great y'all you're all here thanks Thank i enjoyed you. it um there's fun. a
5: mari man m a double r double e man it's a really big what are they called pteroglyph it's not a petroglyph because it's like, oh, geoglyph? I'm not sure. What the, yes, yes,
8: remember. yes. Like a earth, like a earth, it's like an earthen shape. A, like, like a carving,
5: yeah. Like... So you can sort of see it from satellite better kind yes. of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Mari, man, let me just, I don't want to give you the BBC link. That's such a cop out. I'm trying to find an Aussie link. Um, don't anyway. know if they have good pictures, though. Uh, yeah. Should I pass while, it on? While,
2: mm. you, while you look for the link, I realize I just had one more thing to, to add in that, um, I think the only things we can trust in terms of history are what we see on, like, the ground, like, the the evidence on the ground, the the earthen structures, the, you know, the earthworks, the petroglyphs, uh, and what has basically been passed down by word of mouth within a certain number of consecutive, like, contiguous generations, right? I asked my dad recently how many generations of whistlers have been in Indiana and he counted them out and it's like nine or 10. And like, I can trust what's been passed down those 10 generations, just like the native, you know, I hate the term native, frankly, because native to win, like fuck all that. But the Hawaiian culture is still semi intact. You know, my, my friend was, he was on a roll. I wish I had recorded it because he's like talking about how we basically got him hooked on spam and sweet tea and got them all fucking obese and obedient. And now they're not the warriors they once were, you know.
4: Yeah, the, the fast food, um, it, it's it really does a number on cultures like that. It, it happened really bad. In Alaska and in Samoa and plenty of places, uh, you introduce fast food to people that that hunted and fished for everything that they ate and uh, and yeah, I mean typically like the Polynesian races, they're they're pretty lean and fit.
5: So and yeah. yeah, they work pretty or, hard or for the food. Or jacked. I mean, I think
2: a lot of them were big and jacked. You see some yeah. Samoan dudes like fucking Dwayne, the Rock Johnson, fucking seven feet tall, like 400 pounds of muscle. I mean, yeah, these these were the warriors of all warriors on the planet, and we beat them with trade and convenience and guns. We Mm -hmm. let them kill each other. This is kind of my point, right? This is my point. Like, let them kill each other, and then we'll take their land.
4: It's the same thing. Same thing is happening to us right now.
5: Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. We're getting Mike. killed I mean, by is, convenience. Like the art of war, um, and uh, I'm trying to remember who said it, but somebody was saying, yeah, it's um, like a really famous quote. Um, yeah, don't use don't use bullets or what have you. Just basically, you know, infiltrate and kill them from the inside out, sort of thing. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember my quotas better. Um, I've just left a link in the chat there. If you, I don't know if you're interested in looking at that Mari man um it is a geoglyph yes uh in south australia in the desert area and the dude that's talking about this is just a um article it's not a video it's just a couple of photos really gives you the idea so it's almost five kilometers in in height i suppose yeah so So this is
2: this is an outline of the geo or is it this, yeah, is, this an is an area- outline
5: this has been outlined on the video okay. but this is you know so yeah. it's for visibility yeah um so for the listeners we're looking at basically the picture of a man standing and he's holding like a wand thing
2: there's there's the actual um yeah cool. satellite image which is clear as day i mean yeah they outlined it in that first but wow so this is in australia
5: yeah in south south australia
2: Wow.
8: Don't
4: they have these in, in Machu Picchu as well? Uh, They've got what them all over the called? world, I
5: think.
8: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh,
5: in the uh, UK as well, I believe. Yeah, the Nazca Yeah, lines. the Nazca
4: lines. Yeah, yep.
8: mm, yeah here's
5: here's here some other... Speak of the, speak of the devil. <laughs> Is
2: that what you were just saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a yeah. Thunderbird or a Condor.
5: Probably a something. Phoenix, I would say. Phoenix,
2: yeah. Wow. Yeah, see, I mean, but I could that... Be wrong that's the kind of shit we can trust that exists wow. and why they why they would do that you know how much work that took it's like it's like some of the shit we see in the desert southwest or you know stonehenge or like you name it it's like they did it for a fucking reason they weren't stupid
5: it wasn't discovered until 1998
8: that's by, by an
5: outback pilot yeah So, uh, who knows how long it's been there. It's definitely, I would say it's definitely not a, um, hoax. (laughs) It'd be far too hard to pull off.
8: Oh, let's just shout out Stella's amazing series that she did on the voice, because I think even though it's sort of off topic, like not off topic, but it's, it definitely is like a conversation that we're having right now that she has had that is so interesting and so good. Like I was Ashley knows I was like glued to that series I think that was really interesting in talking about like who is indigenous to what land, what do we call indigenous? And like what uh, Mike was saying about family lineage. I just I think that's really interesting because like I grew up with my grandparents. I think that if you know your grandparents, like history doesn't seem so weird or mysterious. Like you have more of a referential basis, a more oral history, if you want to say it like that.
5: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that, Jin. And uh, may I also now give a shout out in return because uh, very soon, and I don't know when it's going to be actually put out into the ether, but um, I will have a show coming up uh, for recording very shortly um, with Jin and with Drew together speaking about cultural history of, uh, well, particularly of Australian, but I'm sure we'll venture out of Australia because <laughs> it, it does. Um, so that's going to be an awesome episode. I'm really looking forward to that. You've got that. Same there. here. Jin
8: i have that down ashley has me on a tight schedule on twitter (laughs) she's good like that she's really good god bless you ashley
2: hey somebody's got to steer the ship honestly she's
5: so good she's like the the mummy of the crew you know it's awesome (laughs) hey mom can you do this
8: (laughs) no that's me i'm always like ashley when am i recording
3: like Yes, here we go. It's the fourteenth at six thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You're one time zone ahead of me. <laughs> hey, make it
2: you. easy for him. Make it easy. I'm kind of that way too, Ashley. Like I'm the, you know, as much as I can be a leaf on the wind, I was always the guy. Like, hey, are we going camping? Like, when are we leaving? When are we packing? Let's go. You know,
4: <laughs> let's
7: do
9: it. Let's make it happen. Yeah.
7: <laughs> yeah,
5: Otherwise, Michael, drive just sit you. Around and talk about it for the rest of our lives.
4: He'll drive you hard. He's like, oh, we got to get out of here. We got to do this.
5: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: somebody's got to do it, you know.
5: But that's part of uh, human, um, well, ecology, I suppose, really, because it's mm-hmm. each different part of the body coming together or each different part. Yeah, playing a different part and coming together in, in one plan and working together and coexisting.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very tempted to go on with this why thing. What do you guys, what do you say?
3: Yeah, I'm here for it.
5: Yeah. Sure, I was just right. offering a segue in case you needed one.
2: <laughs> it's a good segue because, Thank um you. you know, if we have the time, I do have a couple just like what is human ecology type clips or at least the foundation of that that science, I'll say. Um But I want to finish this first. We'll do one thing at a time so we don't get too confused. But,
5: Bookmark that segue. <laughs> yeah,
2: here we go.
0: The old chiefs had abandoned their incessant warring, and the king preserved alliances with dozens of strategic marriages, including one to the 12-year-old Keo Pualani, the exalted daughter of his slain enemy, Kiwala'o. And so the people of the islands paid tribute and worked the fruitful land and fished on shorelines more serene and quiet than in centuries past. Years of prosperity could not, however, placate the king's desire to rule Kauai'. The island boasted a new king, Kaumualii. As he prepared to invade, Kamehameha's armies were struck by a vile and deadly pestilence, likely cholera. It seemed a punishment from the gods. Three men were accused of eating foods forbidden under the kapu, So Kamehameha had their eyes torn from their skulls and their limbs snapped, and then he sacrificed them. In 1810, the king prepared for a renewed assault on Kauai, but first sent a letter to a distant monarch, King George III. His putative ally, the British Crown, was facing the might of Napoleon Bonaparte, and Kamehameha leveraged this. I am sorry to hear your being at war with so many powers, and I so far off cannot assist you. Should any of the powers which you are at war with molest me, I shall expect your protection. Kamehameha requested a ship and brass guns and sent His Majesty a sacred feather cloak. Kamehameha had grown in reach, power, and wealth. He would soon force the commoners into the mountains to harvest sandalwood, to be traded to Americans to sell in China for the profit of Kamehameha and his chiefs. Kaumualii beheld this powerful kingdom, which seemed poised to massacre Kauai. He surrendered, and Kamehameha, now king of the Unified Islands, intended to honor him with a feast. There, Isaac Davis warned Kaumali'i that a few traitorous chiefs were plotting to poison him. Kaumali'i escaped, and the chiefs poisoned Davis instead. Saddened by this loss, the king had also erred in his pursuit of riches. Forced from their farms to harvest sandalwood, the people began to starve, so the king reversed his command and invested in the production of food. If Kamehameha was a warrior capable of great atrocity against those in his path, he had also become a measured king, bound by the gods to his people. His many wives and children came to his side when he fell ill in 1819. In the coming years, his most favored wife, Ka'ahumanu, would advise his successor to abolish the Kapu system, and with it the sacrifices, rampant capital punishment, and restrictions that had long precluded women from dining with men and accessing high political arenas. The kings and queens would fell the statues to the old gods and adopt the Christianity of American missionaries, who would settle the islands with foreign traders and investors, many of whom trafficked in disease and their own perfidious designs upon the islands. Yet among the people would always survive the ancient songs and ceremonies and the warm spirit of Aloha, And for now, King Kamehameha died in an age of peace, having fulfilled a prophecy. And all of the islands stood united under the kingdom of Hawaii. So the History Dose artist...
2: Okay, so we've had a little debate about whether or not this is AI. And um, it's funny because I just cut it off right when he- the narrator was apparently going to talk about the artists. Oh. I wonder if we should play it.
5: Yeah, let's okay. check it out. Well, uh, okay. let's get a vote. Hang on. Let's get a vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, based or AI. Bogus. Based I reckon, bogus. I reckon the whole thing is AI, including the voiceover. Mm-hmm.
8: I'm going middle pillar and saying, I don't know. <laughs>
5: um, (laughs) i'm
8: I'm flexible i'm flexible to um an argument oh
2: he's such a peaceful guy (laughs) so um it's it's posted a year ago and i i see your point stella in the comments it's not like the ai has not existed prior to our access but it was i mean just about a year ago i think when chat gpt kind of hit the scene yeah, or and I, I mean off. that's
5: pretty basic stuff. Like that's not very yeah. you know refined. It looks more like a brush painting. You know that's why I, right. thought, I it, wonder if it is art taken from a couple of decades ago or something, or whether it's right. AI. I would I'm I'm feeling AI anyway. That's where I'd put my dollar.
4: It was January, like clockwork. It was January, and it was. It, it, we all knew. Um, well, all the people that think like us knew that it was going to be the the story of the year it was going to be the thing that everybody's talking about Uh, it's 10 months later or nine months later and yeah that's Mm. it's changed
0: everything
2: Mm -hmm. interesting i mean it might be ai let's see what it says about the uh artist here
0: united under the kingdom of hawaii So the History Dose artist and editor, Joe, went all in for this one, because we both think art allows us to appreciate the grandeur and beauty of peoples and places throughout history. But art has also become a powerful tool for preserving your wealth, and Masterworks allows anyone to do this by buying and selling fractional shares of high-value art. High-value art is less susceptible to the volatility of traditional investments, important in the chaos of this year. Even as the stock market lost $13 trillion in the first half of this year, auction houses hit a new sales record, the highest in their 273-year history. And it's not just this year. Contemporary art has outpaced the S&P 500 by more than double for the past 26 years running. That's why Masterworks already has over 500,000 investors on their platform. They're opening access to multi-million dollar contemporary art, but for a fraction of the full cost, and with exceptional results. Selling six paintings for an average net return of twenty nine percent to investors. As a result, Masterworks has had to acquire and release more art on their platform to meet Mike. demand. Yeah,
2: this is weird, dude. This,
0: what this, this commercial
2: yeah.
0: is like? This is this is how
4: this is how a lot of people launder money. You know, we know we know that Hunter Biden's not a good artist, right? You know, so um, I, I haven't actually seen his art. It might it might not be as bad as i think you it would are be, but it's probably it's bad it's bad it's bad oh, i thought so okay uh but
5: special. anyway put
4: yeah. it that way this, this is like here's your chance to get in on how we launder money how, you know because that's that's really i mean stella you're an artist what do you think
5: of that process i think there's a fairly good possibility that i was wrong however (laughs) i feel that there's another step there that they've actually created an ai video about artists creating art which is not actually artists art it's art an ai video about artists creating art which is actually ai that's what i think (laughs) because i'm looking like i know i know the process i i mean I, i don't think that was photoshop that they we're using this one of the other ones. I can't think of the name. But the actual moves they were making with the things they were doing on the art, that's legit. But there again, that could have just been that one scene that they created for that video. I don't know about the rest of it. I don't know. Um I feel that it's AI doing AI because that's how deceptive <clears throat> it's getting. Sorry, Soa. No, please. I'm finished.
8: I just want to say, this is my only statement about that. I agree with you what you're saying. I, but also the thing that they showed that they were rendering, that was very occult. I'll just, I'll just say that.
5: Oh, okay. Please, please expand on that. I, I'm interested in what you saw.
8: Well, the, it's like the red sphere. So it's like Netzach where Venus, where we would say Venus is. It's the red of Venus over the water. That's very important because the water is the illusion of the world. It's the spell that we see. So it's like the luciferic energy. The gemstone of Venus is a diamond. So if you think of a diamond, it refracts light, right? So it's the same idea, but the sphere itself was considered to be red with a white core. So I just, I thought that was very interesting.
5: Is there any chance we could just look at that little bit again, Mike? Just even if just visually. Um, Yeah, that is extremely interesting. And also the diamond, I mean, immediately you think of facets, Um, so light is going to be reflected into all sorts of different angles and areas just as a, by the way, but yeah, I want to, I wouldn't mind looking at that again now. Yeah. I'm pulling,
2: I'm pulling it up. Sorry. I was just eating. No, uh, you're
5: right. Eating a snack. (laughs) Go for it.
2: (laughs) All right. This image.
5: Yeah. Yeah,
8: That's the one. It's
5: where they're creating that bit. I think it's the last bit.
8: And even look how it's murky, like there's like a murky brown kind of like, and it's obfuscated. And -hmm. there's almost like a, like a serpentine thing that they did where they made it like with the earthen works. That's like a road almost where the, the, the road ends in the sphere of light. I know it's like the reflection, but if you're like thinking, if you're walking like, um, like even in Tantra, we call it Tantra Marga. So it's like the path of Tantra. So that's, to me, like, if I saw that in, like, an iconographic image, I that's how I would understand it. So I just think that's very interesting. And the out- obfuscation of the brown, we would say, is, like, dragon energy. It's like the dragon mystifying the sphere, just like uh, Marx would say, like, the mystification of capitalism. That's a very similar idea.
5: Right. And the wave, the wave about to break in the foreground. Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's who knows. (laughs) It's very hard to tell reality from AI now. It's getting harder and harder and harder every minute.
2: I did a quick search about masterworks, um, and I don't know. Google's fucking useless. So
5: yeah, most of it's AI. Hundred (laughs) percent.
2: Yeah. Um.
5: Yeah, it's true. I think we're up to something like ninety percent of the internet is basically AI now. Something. Well, I guess that's how you measure that
2: even even this history um it's gone through some kind of filter but i guess my point is the more recent the history maybe the more you can sort of trust it but i i guess oh
5: gosh i'd say the other way around yeah (laughs) probably
2: not probably not i don't know dude the hawaii story was totally foreign to me until i started talking to my buddy about it i'm like i don't even know man yeah how this how this island chain became ours like i assume it's because we wanted it and we fucking took it and that's pretty much what i've gathered
5: if you can learn from history that seems to be the the pattern
2: (laughs) so do we trust ted because this is like where the last video left off there's a ted video that picks up and it's only five minutes so it's not nearly as long um but this is about like basically how it became ours. When I say ours, I mean our governments. But I
5: think I I'll it's just... really relevant to keep talking about this because um, yeah. you know how things can just sort of disappear quickly mm-hmm. and get kind of like become a memory all of a sudden. I think um, mm-hmm. this is we've really got to keep this in the forefront of our thinking, I believe, because it's, it's bloody nefarious.
1: Yeah.
2: I think, I think this one, I don't know, I guess before we play it, I will see when it was published a year ago. Okay. Again, maybe this is AI too. It says, okay, I'll pause. For the listener, it says, My love for my homeland and my beloved people, the bones of my bones, the blood of my blood, aloha, 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 which was a quote by Queen... Uh, Liliuokalani, I think you'd say that. Oh, we're uh, muted, my bad.
9: It was January 16th, 1895. Two men arrived at Liliuokalani's door, arrested her, and led her to the room where she would be imprisoned. A group had recently seized power and now confiscated her diaries, ransacked her house, claimed her lands, and hid her away. Lili Uokalani was Hawaii's queen, and she ruled through one of the most turbulent periods of its history. Seventy-five years earlier, American missionaries first arrived in Hawaii. They quickly amassed power, building businesses and claiming arable land that they transformed into plantations. They worked closely with the ali'i, or sacred Hawaiian nobility, closely linked to the gods. The ali'i appointed missionaries to government roles, where they helped establish Hawaii as a sovereign kingdom with a constitutional monarchy. But once certain business opportunities emerged, namely the prospect of exporting sugar to the U.S. tariff-free, some of their descendants shifted positions. They formed a political group known as the Missionary Party, and began plotting to annex Hawaii, bringing it under U.S. control. Liliuokalani and her siblings were born into an Ali'i family. In 1874, her brother, Kalakaua, ascended the throne, but 13 years into his reign, the emerging threat crystallized. The missionary party called a meeting where an all-white militia surrounded and forced the king to sign new legislation. Later called the Bayonet Constitution, it stripped Native Hawaiians of their rights, diminished the monarchy's power, and ceded control to this group of white businessmen. Four years later, King Kalakaua died, heartbroken, Lili'uokalani said, by the base ingratitude of the very persons whose fortunes he had made. Prepared to fight, she assumed the throne. Despite death threats and rumors of insurgency, Queen Lili'uokalani was determined to restore power to her people, an estimated two-thirds of whom had lost their voting rights. Flooded with requests for change, she authored a new constitution. But before she introduced it, the so-called Committee of Safety, a new organization that consisted of many missionary party members, hatched another plot. Under the false pretense that this new constitution endangered American property and lives, they staged a coup on January 17, 1893. More than 160 U.S. Marines marched to the palace, where the Committee of Safety removed Queen Dili'uokalani from office. Thousands of Hawaiian people protested, some wearing hatbands reading Aloha Aina, or Love of the Nation. The alleged provisional government declared Hawaii a republic the following year. They proclaimed that Hawaiians couldn't vote or be government employees without signing a new oath of allegiance. Many refused. The following year, some of Lili'uokalani's supporters attempted a counter-revolution. The republic responded brutally, jailing hundreds and sentencing six people to death. In exchange for their release, the Republic made Lili'uokalani sign a document that claimed to relinquish her throne, and they imprisoned her in the palace. Under constant guard, she composed songs expressing her love for her people, and began making a patchwork quilt that told the story of her life. While she was only allowed news that had been reviewed by her jailers, her supporters often brought her bouquets from the garden she dedicated to them, wrapped in newspaper. After eight months, Lili Uokalani was placed under house arrest. As soon as it was lifted, she traveled to Washington, D.C., with Hawaiian nationalists and over 20,000 signatures. There, they successfully convinced Congress to halt the Republic's annexation treaty. But the following year, the Spanish-American War began. Seeing Hawaii as a strategic military base, President William McKinley declared it a U.S. territory on July 7, 1898. Breaking international law and devastating Queen Liliuokalani and her people. She spent the rest of her life petitioning for the restoration of her lands, Native Hawaiian rights, and national liberation. When she died in 1917, these dreams were unrealized. A member of the group that forced Queen Liliuokalani out of office once declared, If we are ever to have peace and annexation, the first thing to do is obliterate the past. They failed at this goal. Queen Lili'uokalani left a resilient legacy. Her commitment to her land and people never wavered, and many Hawaiians continue to fight in her memory. Speaking of Hawai'i's children, Queen Lili'uokalani said, it is for them that I would give the last drop of my blood. Long before Queen Lili'uokalani's reign, another queen...
2: Okay. What do we think, AI? (laughs) It could could be. (laughs) It's kind of a similar style of video released Mm. at a similar time, which is kind of interesting. But what do you all think?
5: Well, getting around the actual production of the video, as far as the content goes... um, I, you know, it's hard not to draw the parallels of what's happening now because I heard two things there, which is exactly what's happened here is first thing, well, they try to obliterate history. So they fell the statues, which was in the first bit we watched and uh, just obliterate the past. So they're setting, you know, the new precedent for (laughs) what's going to happen now. You know, Um, we're seeing that as well in our current times. So and they're the, committing you know, it's nothing new under the sun. It's always the same out of war. Sorry. Ash.
3: Exactly. No, but I was just going to say they're, um, you know, they're they're killing people while they're doing it, and they're committing crimes that are considered crimes against humanity, and getting away with it. So it's it's frustrating, and it definitely I I was also seeing. I was like, that sounds really familiar. That sounds familiar. That sounds familiar.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm same
8: old thing um i just want to point out that the annexation the date of annexation is also an 11. so i just i thought that was really interesting and then also they made her a lot browner in the animation she's she's not she's like a more of like a mid caramel color and if you look at photographs of Mm -hmm. her they made her a lot darker than she really is and then the other thing i'll say Mm -hmm. is that You need the, so you, like, remember in the beginning of the video, they had the, they showed how the landed aristocracy because Hawaii, traditional Hawaii was a very class society. So they had those people collaborating with the missionaries. What the video didn't say is that those people collaborated the entire time. They also collaborated against the queen. So there is still like a mixed race it reminds me of like when you and Drew sell us say like the Canberra natives or like the urban natives, that's kind of like still exists that are very well off. Like it's a small percentage, but it's like people are making a ton of money. So I'll just that's where I thought was interesting.
5: Yeah, very.
2: But did we get booted from YouTube? Is that what somebody just said?
5: Yeah, it looked like it did just for a moment, but it's back up now. So
2: oh, interesting. Oh is well, it? <clears throat> yeah. We were using like Ted. Modies
5: ah, on my end.
3: Yep. Yep. I'm with you. And, that was weird because it said yeah. that it was um it said it was suspended. But
2: weird. Weird. I saw that anyway, was, I think we're I think we're still live. Um but yeah, I just
4: checked yeah, it. It's are. it's fine.
5: Yeah. yeah. I'm watching it on my iPad. A little bit of a delay, but apart from that. to be expected
2: you know in terms of i think it's actually really useful to um to ask this question ai generated or not whether or not the information's valid is sort of second a secondary question but in terms of like the voiceover versus the visuals my guess at this point because the first video was all still images it's very possible that that those were ai images versus the second video was animated. And I think it it, it struck me more as having a human influence. Um, but I think maybe both of the voiceovers were computer-generated. Doesn't mean it was necessarily AI, because they've been doing voice-generated, or computer-generated voices for a long time. That's, that's a lot simpler than a large language model, you know, gathering the information making sense of it and spitting it back out but i'm 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 not sure in any event
5: it could very well have been ai or person animated however it's all done with computer and basically ai but i know the separation i know what you're saying um but the thing i mean you do know that there is video versions of ai don't you that they will you just same thing along with images you just do the same thing but it creates video so that's nothing really that new. Um, And the other thing that I've noticed is, well, yeah, you're right, that I mean you can um, sample your own voice and use that as AI voiceover for your own videos. So basically it just means Mm. that you're not creating things like gaps with stuttering or you forget something or what have you. So it's just nice and smooth. There's no mistakes, what have you, because it's all computer. You just typed in the script. But it's still your voice, so a lot of people wouldn't have any idea that You've actually created an AI voice of your own. so.
2: But if they're discerning, they would. Like I'm thinking about how I'm working on my audio book. And, and yes. part of the truth of what I'm putting out is that I stutter and that I misspeak. And, you know, I know that AI will get good enough to replicate even that. But for now, I think, I think it think already is. Still, yeah, maybe so. Man, it'd be so much easier just to run my book through AI and have it narrate it for me. I
5: no, no doubt that you are able yeah. to do that now. You probably were able to do that a year ago.
2: Yeah, I um, probably could have had more. <laughs> AI write the whole book if I wanted to, but then it wouldn't have a soul.
5: Well, this is what's happening because people just need – you don't even have to have an idea. If somebody could, oh, I might write a book. So then they sit down and they the first question is, I want to write a book. Tell me what to write about. And freaking AI yeah. will come up with yeah. a whole bunch of suggestions of what the book can be written about. And then you go – Okay, um, I want it to be twelve chapters. So now you name the chapters, so AI comes back with the names of the twelve chapters, and then okay, write chapter one in this vein about this rough topic, and then so it just turns out the whole thing. It's beyond a joke, really. I mean, it's going to be really hard. In fact, I see, and I'm I'm thinking about this niche. Actually, I'm I'm hope I'm going to be alive long enough to get to the end of this cycle, so the pendulum actually swings back. And I'm thinking about um, heading towards more organic sort of like it's all going to swing back to, oh, is that human? Is that organic? Oh, wow. You know, so, <laughs> do I want to get ahead of the curve and try to um, get good at something organic? <laughs> I don't know, calligraphy or something. I don't know. But I could see that's sort of going to happen. Yeah, it's I, get I, so I think
4: urged. that'll happen with food especially.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's homegrown. I will give you my left nut.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Very much. You so. know, like,
2: yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, you're not wrong. Like in a in a, in a, in a, this world's like increasingly artificial. So the authentic shit, when you find it is so sweet.
5: Yes. It's sure. like receiving a handwritten letter now. And I've had, I've had the pleasure of receiving one from Ashley. And that's the first handwritten letter I've received probably since. all. let me think. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> 1999 something like that so (laughs) and i'm serious so well ever since the advent of email i suppose whenever that was
2: well i can say og's written a couple handwritten notes to me and i appreciate each one
5: that's awesome Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah i I got the parallel front of my uh
4: my copy of uh hey duke 2029 signed by michael whistler so i have to
2: there you go there me. you <laughs> go <laughs> scratched
4: yeah yes. but uh Chicken this scratch. reminds me Keep. of uh of uh you know i know ashley also listens to media monarchy but uh he always says they steal the real and sell you the fake and that's that's basically. What we're seeing here, I mean, they're they're trying to take every human function and and turn it into some kind of digitized thing. It'll even everything that's like extremely natural. Even you know, at at some point, people will be fake pooping or something. You know, I don't know. (laughs) It's just such a mess. (laughs) (laughs) It's like no, I just uh, it just removes it from my bowels. Yeah, I'm good.
5: The bug suck. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's the inversion of, um, you know, of everything, of life, of humans. And it's the, they, we see that they try to invert so many things. So it's that it's uh, inversion. It's subversion. It's, you know, it's pretty dark spiritually, my opinion.
8: But, but we have to always leave it on a white pill is that we get to choose where we want to go. Do we want to go the top or do we want to go the bottom of the tree? Like, even if you're thinking about it like that, we do get to choose. The kingdom is within us, slightly without us, what we can control, our own feelings, our own perceptions, our own kingdom. That's really important. So, just we'll leave it on a white, uh, like not a white note, but a uh, uh-huh. white pill, because I think that's really important. I think that it, we really do get to choose. We really do.
1: Yeah. I, I like that. Agree.
8: Yeah you know it's like it's like this
2: this issue of war is what i want to bring it back to and it's like we can't necessarily decide personally if a war is going to break out or not right it's beyond our control so yeah i mean i appreciate what you just said there jen about it is like all you can do is have your internal house in order right like be right with god um i do have like two more clips, I wouldn't mind sharing. I mean, anybody that needs to leave, you know, as always, you're free to come and go as you wish from the forum, but you guys game to keep going a little longer.
5: That's yes. A bloody lootly. Yeah,
3: let's just do it.
2: <laughs> All right. Um,
3: Legend.
2: Rock and Legend roll, y'all. I got to quit. I, you know, maybe I just got to quit giving y'all the out and just, just trudge on whether you like it or not. This do guy. It. This That's guy, like I'm choice. pretty sure, is a real live human.
5: <laughs>
2: okay. uh, he, he's
4: too.
5: We'll dweeby. see about that. <laughs> he's too you sure about that.
2: AI. I, I'm not sure, but let's. Find I out.
3: will say that several years ago, it, even uh, like 2017, I was watching Crash Course videos because they had quick videos that would simplify. Um, mm anatomy amp and uh, kinesiology so i watched quite a bit of that
2: (laughs) well there's a little bit of a i guess you'd say endorsement yeah let's see what this uh this nerd has to say
6: (laughs) hi i'm john green this is crash course world history and today we're going to respond to your many requests and talk about a controversial subject War. So here at Crash Course, we're really not that into the history of war, partly because we feel it's been discussed well elsewhere, and partly because we haven't really figured out a way to tackle it. Mr. Green! Mr. Green! No, 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 no. That's all history is. It's a series of wars. Well, I mean, from the past, I can certainly see why you would think that, because that's how many history classes are organized. But, in fact, I don't think that history is primarily about war. But, I mean, humans find all kinds of ways to die. Like, you could teach a whole Crash Course world history on smallpox. In fact, we kind of did that last week. Ultimately, I find cooperation and trade more interesting than the violent and destructive aspects of world history because I think they probably ultimately matter more, but I do have to admit that war is a pretty big deal in world history, so we'd better spend some time talking about it, at least in the abstract. (laughs) So today we're going to focus on the question of why people fight, and more specifically, why human beings go to war. Like, to put it another way, we're going to look at whether making war is part of, quote, human nature. This gets into some nitpicky, how many angels can you fit on the head of a pin? questions about nature, but we're just going to put those aside for now. So, are human beings hardwired to fight and kill each other? Well, that's a question that philosophers have been asking for a long time, like Nietzsche summed it up this way, I am by nature warlike, to attack is among my instincts. But he was Nietzsche. He had a number of instincts that I'm pretty sure were not universal. Anyway, that attitude might explain why Nietzsche is so popular among the group most likely to go to war young men. Now, among slightly less scary philosophers, the question of humans' warlike nature is often described as a debate between Hobbes, who saw humans as warlike and violent, and Rousseau, who thought that humanity was naturally peaceful until civilization came along. And we've heard echoes of this debate throughout our study of world history, like, were we better off as foragers when we had way more time for scootly pooping? stupid civilization always ruining everything Let's go to the thought bubble. So was Hobbes right that life in the so-called state of nature was nasty, brutish, and short? Or was Rousseau right that it was amazing? Well, without a time machine, which would settle a lot of vexing historical questions and would also allow me to go back and fix my terrible, terrible mistakes at the 8th grade Cotillion, our best guide to what people were like in the state of nature comes from anthropology. Making guesses about the very distant past based on observations of modern hunter-gatherers is extremely problematic, but it's the best we have to go on. Well, that and archaeology. So what do anthropologists? Tell us, well, it doesn't look so good for Rousseau. Many anthropologists suggest that in pre-civilization social orders, things were pretty violent. In Australia, for example, killing and fighting was among the main causes of mortality, and archaeology has revealed evidence of warfare going back thousands of years. Now, some of these anthropological conclusions are controversial, but when combined with cave paintings and fossils of humans who pretty obviously were killed by other humans, it seems clear that we've been killing each other for what historians like to call a long-ass time. So Hobbes seems to be right that life in the state of nature was probably violent and brief, but was it war? Again, anthropologists can give us some guidance here. Some studies have reported relatively large-scale group confrontations similar to battles, but these tend to be largely symbolic and they often don't result in much killing. Most of the actual violence that hunter-gatherers commit against each other takes place during raids, in which one group sneaks up upon another and attacks. So in the end there may be like a very violent middle path between the individual killing in, like, Cain v. Abel and the modern wars that we see today. But why are we seemingly so hardwired toward violence? Well, it might be evolution. (laughs) Thanks, Thought Bubble. So I want to be really clear about something. Uh, we may have aggression in our genes, but you can't kill people. And also, you don't have to. Many of us, most of us in fact, make it all the way through life without killing a single person. So I think it's going too far to say that our genes have, like, made us into stone-cold killers, but it is possible that aggression is an innate trait in humans. And under the right conditions, maybe it finds its expression in violence and war. Now, we should all be very skeptical about applying evolutionary biology to cultural characteristics like warlike behavior because Darwin's ideas have been misused to explain all sorts of unpleasant things, especially in 19th century concepts about race. You know, if you're in a structurally privileged position in the social order, it's easy enough to be like, huh, I wonder how I got here probably natural selection, when in fact, you know, slavery was not a function of biology, it was a function of oppression. And another reason we should be aware is that we often refer to cultures evolving very quickly, like often in a generation, but biological evolution takes a lot longer. That said, there are a few ways that evolutionary imperatives could contribute to a warlike human nature. We'll start with the idea that it is a biological imperative to pass on genetic traits to successive generations. Because our close relatives and kin contain the most genetic material in common, we naturally want to protect them and ensure the continued survival of our genes, so we might be expected to fight in order to protect members of our kin group. But then again, trying to protect your family from harm is somewhat different from killing other people's families. Well, here's where it's helpful to remember that for the vast majority of human history, war consisted of raiding. It was about taking stuff from other people's kin groups so that your kin group could have that stuff. For 99% of human history, that's how we fought, not as organized states warring with each other. So let's stop even thinking about, like, groups of humans or even individual humans and think for a second about genes. Insofar as genes want anything, they want to go on. Life wishes to continue. And for those human genes to go on, they needed humans to go on. And for that, we need two resources. Food and sex, both of which could be quite scarce in the many millennia before we settled down into agricultural-based societies. It occurs to me they are also quite scarce in most American high schools, unless you consider Cheetos food. So you can easily see how the competition for these two resources could become violent and might provide an evolutionary explanation for war. Like skill in fighting meant more access to food in the form of better hunting grounds. It also meant more food because you were better at fighting the food, too. And there's a more horrifying aspect to this as well, which is that in many of these women were the principal goal. They were to be acquired. Also, as we know from the Odyssey, fighting has a tendency to breed more fighting. Like, you kill my friend, it makes it more likely that I'm going to kill you. I'm not going to kill you, but seriously, don't kill any of my friends.
2: Okay, I'm gonna cut it off there. Um, he goes on a bit more, but I think you get the idea, right? This this video is obviously like a very um, simple explanation but it's i think there's truth there like it does boil down to protecting your kin and your friends and and the propaganda is the only way they can get us to do it anybody
8: no i i agree with that i think that you know i mean okay so brett weinstein just just tweeted a thing about how we're gonna bloodlet to the gods of war. I mean, that's very weird thing Ooh. to like, that's a very strange phrasing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I, I think that they, I think they, whoever they are, we've obviously, you guys have discussed it a million times on everyone's show. And, you know, I've discussed it on my episode. So, I mean, whoever they are, they love war, at least a faction of them that seems to be like a mechanism for them to do some of the things they want. Now I do think there's another faction I do I don't I don't personally see it as like a unified whole um, just because I think that there are different goals and different kind of like agendas like I think the progressivism that is definitely like a different thing than the necessarily like the neocon Warhawks but obviously they love to do like the dialectical inversion where they merge everything together and then kind of like tease it all out again so then they kind of like move us leftward with their by doing that so I think that there is something to that and I do think that when it comes down to it we are very tribal but you know that what for all the bad things the internet has ever given us we can have discussions like this and we can, and this is, you know, this is, I'm, I'm not trying to be like weird, but this is kind of magical what we're doing. So, and this is breaking the dialectic and Ashley and I talk a lot about this and on our episodes is that this is exactly what it is. It's the arrow of the trivium. It's breaking the dialectic. So, you know, we just got to do what we got to do. And when we say that it, it, that means that their spell's not as strong. That's really what it means.
5: Yeah, and let's not forget that war is big business. It ha- it's all again multifaceted. Boy, is that the is that the word of the decade or the millennium? <laughs> yeah. Um where, you know, it's it's big business. It keeps everyone in fear, keeps them looking like heroes, uh, keeping us safe. Um it steers the ship of the narrative. Um it creates chaos. There's so many things. So war is war is excellent for them.
3: Yeah. And on a spiritual level, I think that because lately I've been looking at, at these multifaceted themes that are sort of put forth to us and like we're herded into these. I feel like there is the materialist aspect and then like what we see of the observable here on earth. But then I think that there's a whole other spiritual level to that. So they they're meeting all these bullet points, but they're also causing trauma, that they're causing fear, they're causing pain. And I kind of feel like that does something for, you know, the predator class on on a dark magic or spiritual plane, as well as all the damage it does in the material. Sorry, go ahead, Stella.
5: Okay, sorry. Um Yeah, well, trauma keeps people compliant, so they have to keep us in a constant state of trauma. And and it is true. What's happening in the spiritual will manifest into this t- dimension, and that's what's happening. And they they're making certain things manifest. That's what a, that's what a ritual is. Um, so we can we must expect what's happening in the spiritual realm um, to also appear here. I mean, it's fairly obvious. Something I you'd have to be blind not to see that things have ramped up particularly of light.
8: Yeah, I agree. I think that it, you know, I, they're definitely doing their spells. We're doing our white magic spells, we'll call it, by doing this, like just discussing it, but it's magic. So that's what we're doing. And uh, so many other people are doing it. And yes, the internet seems very divided right now, but this is exactly what it seemed like at the beginning of Ukraine. Like I remember it so clearly, the libertarians were all like based and red pilled and we were all like anti-mask and like, you know, fuck lockdowns, fuck the vax, Like, or you know what I mean? Anyway, so that, you know, we were all like on the same page and then suddenly the thing, the war breaks out and then it was like completely divided again. So this is that. And that's a kind of like, that's a dialectical process that they're doing as well. So they're trying to get everybody into the different camps, right and left. And you know what we're, people have way more in common way 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 more in common like i'm not a big fan of those two abrahamic religions that are you know doing their thing right now but we really do have more in common than not and i just think like we just got to push past our own bullshit sometimes and you know i don't like leftism that, there <laughs> i i i
2: totally agree jen like this is my thing is if you think you're not capable of being that person who does that awful human sacrifice thing you don't understand that it's a matter of psychology and and we're all humans okay like no baby in my opinion is born evil it's a matter of multi systems that influence how people become and it, you know it's a valid reason to bring up religion because perhaps some belief systems are less harmful than others, you know, when you look at it objectively. Um, I do have another clip here, but anybody with any thoughts before we go into
5: it? I'd, I'd like to know whether anybody has... This is a pretty big one, okay? I'd like to know whether anybody has heard the theory of Ukraine being the new Israel. As in... Well, Israel took it's in – Israel is not known for taking mm-hmm. in um, war immigrants, you know, um, but they took in Ukrainians. I, I have heard that Yeah, Odessa was – it's the gates, like an, a spiritual gates to mm-hmm. – um, I wish I could remember the exact word or the exact phrase. Look
4: at the, this, the Ukrainian symbol. It's a, it's a symbol to Moloch. Yeah,
5: yeah. right. Who, who worships so Moloch? Much, I think there's a lot more – spiritualism and symbology here that most people, uh, <laughs> most people no. are um, aware of, I guess.
3: I, I no, agree with that. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Really quick, Jen, I was just going to say, and I don't know all of the details, but I do know that the Orthodox Church in Ukraine, which I think is part of the uh, the Donbass area, has been under major attack um by this latest war so i think there's something really significant probably for a couple of like for for all the reasons right like spiritually i think it's really significant and then also we know that they called ukraine the breadbasket of, of the world so i think it's merging these two really important things
5: for that place to be a target stone best it. I'm trying to find it there. Is that in the East? As in is Russia's that, old territory. You know,
2: on that note though, real quick, Ashley, I think there are places of significance, like on an energetic and spiritual kind of level. And it's why people carved paintings at, you know in the rock, this, that, and the other. It's why it's you know, I, I doubt the Eiffel Tower is just a monument it's like that's a fucking antenna the pyramids were built where they were built for a reason i could go on but you get my point there's energetic places that people have chosen to recognize and if if we're fighting over shit there's there's only a handful of reasons why
5: well that's what ley lines are all about is um energetic points where generally temples are built and then churches are generally built onto foundations of temples. So there's that. And then if if you line them up on a map, they are generally in a fairly straight line, most of them. Um, So there's that, there's that sort of geographic power.
8: No, that's an amazing point, Stella. It's, I mean, there's an idea called geomancy and everybody like knows what feng shui is, or um, there's an Indian system called Vashti. And it's basically like giving numbers to different squares in the you make grids. So it's just like kind of like um, latitude and longitude, but in like more microcosmic ways, actually New Haven, Connecticut. So this is kind of what even what first got me on Union of Unknowns was I we I think Stella shared a map of New Haven. yeah, And then I went through it and did the numerology of it. And it was like really crazy and all the squares are were like 666, like the whole town. And so we have these things called like planetary squares. So you make like numbered squares to invoke like the angels of the planets. It's, uh, some people do that. So in the 666 is the number of the sun. So I just thought that's so fascinating and just, yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree. Like, it, there are definitely energetic points, lightning, volcanoes, all of that. They really try and tap into that. Those are like seem to be like very energetic principles for them.
5: Yeah. 666,000 subscribers on that channel.
2: <laughs> so I noted, the, I, I noted this earlier, but I almost didn't want to show it. But yeah, that first video that we're like, is this AI? It's from a channel called History Dose, okay? And, yeah, 666K Funny subscribers.
5: That. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to ignore you there, um, Jin. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah, very valid. Um, I would really love to talk about this a little bit more on our episode um, when we're coming up. That would be really good because I'm sure it works in with the song lines of Australia, etc. So I we think must talk so. about that. And the meeting points where all those things uh, all meet, like converge, the different lines, the ley lines come together. They're, is it sort of a pentagram, is it? Uh, no, it's a six-point star, I think, <laughs> that it forms. And that's usually like a quite a chaotic point where they all converge. Um, I know Milton Keynes is one of them. and That was a fairly dark place. Don't know what it is like today, but. So, yeah, it's, um, um, it has some bearing.
8: Sorry, Sol, I didn't mean to interrupt them that. all. No, That's I'm totally... totally okay, well, you know, it's hard for me because I'm used to doing, like, my solo episodes or with Ashley in general, so I just kind of go and then let anyone interrupt me and then we just kind of do it, but it's, it's cool to do in a big group. Too. Um, go for it but uh no i totally agree and i also think um one of someone i've podcasted with headless giant he's really great at the archaeology or the not archaeology but like the kind of the mapping of washington dc like he's that's his thing so if you guys want to have him on i'm sure he'd love to come on and do like a decode of washington dc and rome and uh, the vatican because that's really his specialty not mine so yeah
5: Oh, that'd be great! Yeah, I'd love to see him do one on Canberra, in Australia.
8: Oh, that would be really interesting.
5: It sure would. That's full of symbology as well. If you look at it from, yeah, just like all the other capital centers. cities. Yep, and of course that's where the government reside. That's where the circus tent is. <laughs>
2: I did just get a notice saying that we were interrupted because of copyright uh-huh. issues. But that was that channel. Interrupted, not not booted. So, I guess we're all right.
9: Hmm. <laughs>
5: cool. Thanks YouTube. <laughs>
2: yeah, thanks, oh, censorship god. Fuck them. Fuck those assholes. All right. So I do have something here um, that I think is worthy of showing once again, I think a lot of this is spiritual. A lot of this is hijacking our innate psychology and um, this idea of human ecology or did I, Yeah, our innate psychology, human ecology is this. It's what I studied and um, the basis of it is super simple. You know, how do people and their environment interact? And by environment, that means everything: social, physical, cultural, political. Fill in the blank. Um, but when it comes to breaking down what you know, why do people do what they do? I think this is useful. It's a very simple theory, but it's worth like hearing expressed in its entirety. So, here we go.
10: All children exist within a social context that shapes them and is shaped by them. This two-way interaction is at the heart of the ecological systems model proposed by the psychologist Yuri Bronfenbrenner. He suggested that child development can be understood within this model that accounts for both nature and nurture. So not only a child's biological and psychological traits, but all the social and environmental influences like family, school, community, culture and belief systems and all the interactions that influence behaviours, events and outcomes. There are five systems of influence in Bronfenbrenner's model. The microsystem is comprised of the individual child and those they directly interact with, such as family, friends, neighbours, school and service providers. The mesosystem is concerned with social connections, relationships, links or interactions between the various settings in the microsystem. The exosystem is the broader social context, and it includes the political, legal, educational and health systems, and the job market. The macrosystem includes social norms, cultural mores, religious beliefs, and the dominant ideologies, which are the drivers of laws, policies and practices. These four systems are embedded in a fifth system, the chronosystem which is concerned with time, individual time, as in personal biology and biography, historical or social, cyclical, as in the changing of the seasons or the celebration of anniversaries, and future time. Each system influences and is influenced by other systems, so a change in one has the potential to produce a change in another. Let's look at the example of substance use in the ecological system. At the microsystem level, maternal substance use can affect the development of the unborn baby, the inner world. An infant exposed to alcohol in utero may develop any one of three fetal alcohol spectrum disorders which can result in abnormal facial features, small head size, growth deficit, poor coordination, hyperactive behaviour difficulty with attention and poor memory which will of course affect the child's behavior and the relational responses to that child in the mesosystem still at the microsystem level substance use can influence the child th-
2: okay I, i'm pausing it because i'm realizing i didn't watch this whole video and it seems like it's just going to be about substance abuse um i don't know I don't know if she just goes on about that one example, but the point is that everything you know, I would add another ring to this circle, like the spiritual system, the the metaphysical system. But
5: yep, there is one that covers religion there somewhere. I think it was the third circle.
2: Well, that's that's what you've been taught. It's oh, okay, your yep. religious okay. belief,
5: uh structure indoctrination type religion. It's not
2: necessarily everything that exists within that realm right that's what we're kind of getting at here there's a whole lot more than what you you're taught in sunday school or at public school (laughs) you know it's uh there's a little more to it
8: perhaps i just want to offer this because i thought that was very interesting the clip is that They wrote it in spheres and we've been talking about like this whole time, at least I have, is about the densities of the Kabbalah spheres and there are four. And I just think that that's very interesting that they kind of delineated it out like that and they labeled every sphere as like denoting a different set of correspondences, which is exactly what Kabbalah does. So I'll just leave it at that, but I think that's really interesting.
2: Well, concentric circles are useful in all kinds of ways. I mean, that's a pattern that it's everywhere. You know, the trees rings. I mean, it, there's there's lots of geo works. I I don't I don't see the concentric circle as like a negative. Um, it just is what it is. Things with within things within things. This is about systems thinking. That's what the the discipline of ecology is for is seeing things not as um you know one problem one solution but what is the entirety of the whole and i i guess i only say it because i i keep coming back to this idea that like in our history what what little history we know first of all there's so much we don't know but there is this constant struggle of, of, I guess, the bloodletting versus the the decent. I don't know. Anybody? <laughs> Jen. Jen. Sorry. I was just off. off. You're, yeah.
8: Oh, sorry about that, Mike. I yeah, was you're off. I was just, you're totally right. I was just offering an, a funny observation that I thought, yeah. and I just thought, you know, like, because. They drew like a hexagram at the beginning, and there was just like little elements that I thought, "Oh, mm-hmm. that's quite interesting." That's all. Mm-hmm. Just it was just an observation. It wasn't, you know. I just, it's all lighthearted, right? Sure, sure.
5: I just wanted to give someone else a go, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, you got anything? <clears throat> I actually
3: stepped away during that to get some more water. So I missed most of the video,
5: unfortunately. Very
0: cool. that's okay. That's okay.
5: Well, okay. Um, so there's a lot of circular things going on. We see it in logos everywhere, especially lately. The WEF logo is circles circles everywhere. I mean, as you, as you say, Gin, as you say, Mike. Sorry, there's nothing. Uh, I don't see anything too nefarious about circles <laughs> it's the circle of life you know um everything is cyclic everything comes back everything comes back to the start you know the pendulum swings swings back the circle encloses and starts again um so i just see it as a very universal symbol um uh, you know i see that as also a ripple effect you know that looking at that chart as the ripples of as it is i mean it all starts out what was it the micro sphere, I think it was, it's like the very beginning, we don't have a lot of uh, um, choice, I suppose, in that, because we are, that's generally our infancy and our being grown up sort of uh, situation with family and, I guess, school to a point, so already, I mean, at a very, very young age, we're already thrown into the system and indoctrinated, I mean, let's, let's go back right to the beginning, as soon as you're born, you're jabbed, right, so, then you're indoctrinated younger and younger and younger. They're starting to get kids going to, to child care and what have you. Um, so you don't really belong to yourself for very long, do you? And then you don't belong to your parents for very long either. Um, yeah, it's not long till you're turned out into the world and the world shapes you like a piece of plasticine.
2: Well, I have like, I don't know, a couple, three minutes, four minutes of one final clip. It's basically a simplified version of the last, I don't know, 100,000 years. Let's see
1: here. To us. But then around 12,000 years ago in multiple locations, humans developed agriculture through genetics. I'll go back just a little bit. (laughs) Apologies. Which is not efficient. Still, for the next 40,000 years, human life remained more or less the same. There was little to build upon. Our ancestors were only one animal among many. Building a skyscraper without knowing what a house is, is hard. But while it's easy to be arrogant in our attitude to our ancestors, this would be ignorant. Humans 50,000 years ago were survival specialists. They had a detailed mental map of their territory. Their senses were fine-tuned to the environment. They knew and memorized a great amount of information about plants and animals. They could make complicated tools that required years of careful training and very fine motor skills. Their bodies compared to our athletes today just because of their daily routines. And they lived a rich social life within their tribe. Survival required so many skills that the average brain volume of early modern humans might even have been bigger than it is today. As a group, we know more today, but as individuals, our ancestors were superior to us. But then, around 12,000 years ago, in multiple locations, humans developed agriculture. Everything changed very quickly. Before, survival as a hunter and forager required superb physical and mental abilities in all fields from everybody. With the rise of the agricultural age, individuals could increasingly rely on the skills of others for survival. This meant that some of them could specialize. Maybe they worked on better tools. Maybe they took time to breed more resistant crops or better livestock. Maybe they started inventing things. As farming got more and more efficient, what we call civilization began. Agriculture gave us a reliable and predictable food source, which allowed humans to hoard food on a large scale for the first time, which is much easier to do with grains than meat. The food stock required protection, which led to communities living together in tighter spaces. First, early defense structures were built. The need for organization grew. The more organized we got, the faster things became efficient. Villages became cities. Cities became kingdoms. Kingdoms became empires connections between humans exploded which led to opportunities to exchange knowledge progress became exponential about 500 years ago the scientific revolution began mathematics physics astronomy biology and chemistry transformed everything we thought we knew the industrial revolution followed soon after laying the foundation for the modern world as our overall efficiency grew exponentially more people could spend their lifetime contributing to the progress of humanity. Revolutions kept happening. The invention of the computer, its evolution into a medium we all use on a daily basis, and the rise of the internet shaped our world. It's hard to grasp how fast all of that happened. It's been about 125,000 generations since the emergence of the first human species. About 7,500 generations since the physiologically modern humans saw the light of day. 500 generations ago, what we call civilization began. 20 generations ago, we learned how to do science, and the internet became available to most people only one generation ago. Today, we live in the most prosperous age humanity has ever experienced. We have transformed this planet, from the composition of its atmosphere to large-scale changes in its landscape, and also in terms of the other animals in existence. We light up the night with artificial stars and put people in a metal box in the sky. Some have even walked on our moon. We put robots on other planets. We've looked deep into the past of the universe with mechanical eyes. Our knowledge and our way of acquiring and storing more of it has exploded. The average high school student today knows more about the universe than a scholar a few centuries ago. Humans dominate this planet, even if our rule is very fragile. We are still not that different from our ancestors 70,000 years ago, but your lifestyle has existed for less than 0.001% of human history. From here on, there's no saying what the future holds for us. We're building a skyscraper, but we're not sure if it's standing on a solid foundation or if we're building it on quicksand. You know,
2: that I, I know that shit had like a certain bent to it, but... Simple summarization. I don't know. Do you guys buy it?
4: Well, this is something that you've been talking about, about how everybody underestimates our ancestors and acts like, yeah. yeah. Uh, The the cool part about that in the beginning, he's talking about uh, the fact that people might've had bigger brains because they, they had to memorize, you know, Hey, that mushroom will kill you. Hey, you know, like don't mess with that critter, things like that. Uh, They had to memorize all of that stuff and us getting reliant on computers and uh, these little, you know, pocket devices that we have and everything has it's dumbed us down for sure. And we need to we need to start memorizing things. And, you know, if, if we're going to use the Internet for good. We need to not rely on the Internet because whenever you if you start relying on the Internet, everything that the Internet does for you atrophies. And one day we won't be allowed on. Uh, It'll still be here, probably, but they won't let you on because you said something that goes against uh, whatever narrative that they're pushing. You know, so keep that in mind. Don't don't get so reliant on the internet and think that you can solve all your problems start buying books just buy up as many damn books as you can buy even if you don't even if you're not interested in the topic you might need to be interested in that topic and if you think that you can maintain electricity uh and because you know i think that they'll probably try to cut people like us off from that even um Learn how to preserve things without electricity. It's, that's a huge one because that's going to be one of the mechanisms that they use to control us. If if you don't want to live in their smart city, they're going to cut off everything outside of that grid. And they'll say it's, you know, for some kind of environmental nonsense. So learn how to preserve food without electricity and learn how to, to live without air conditioning. That's and people were really badass. And We've, we've had all these crutches around to, to really cause a lot of atrophy.
5: Yeah, I agree. Um, we're in a, two or three generations, we'll probably have the brain the size of a peanut if we keep going the way we're going. Um, I do make an effort occasionally, even in you know my Discord chat, I'll ask a question rather than Google it because I sort of miss the art of having a bit of a conversation even just about the question sometimes. Um, without... Asking questions and continuing conversation. We don't really need each other, do we? We just <laughs> go and ask the internet. I mean, there's, that's part of family social breakdown as well. Uh, there used to be discussions around the dinner table, etc. People would finish their meal and they'd sit around chatting about things. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, there's no, hey mum, what do you think about this? Or, hey dad, how does this work? doesn't happen. It's just YouTube, check it out. Search. Let Google tell you. So there's this real disconnect there. Um, I felt it myself uh, both ways with both my son and also myself with, you know, my mum and what have you. I, I do try to sort of make an effort to go and ask her her own experiences about things, not just what Google has to say, because, you know, she's been around longer than me. So, um, yeah, I encourage people to sort of try to keep those conversations going. And um, as Ando said, even if you, you've you got books that you're not even interested in, it's it, some of it's just about keeping the neural pathways going. You know, and also reading in certain light, like natural light, et cetera, instead of reading off a blue screen. That's another thing that's affecting us physiologically.
2: It's also good to have field guides for edible plants, animals, tracks, gardening. Maps. You know, I, I'm looking at my shelf. I've got probably an, like 80 year old America's Garden book. It's about yay thick. I'm not gonna grab it because I've got all kinds of shit. I, I've got all these, I've got all these little books, actually, right in front of it, which my great grandfather pressed. Wow. We need to we need to start buying two hundred year old book presses, yep. printing presses, in case they cut us
0: off.
5: I have actually thought about that. It's, that's mad. I um, went to, when I went to visit my son in Western Australia, there's this awesome museum that I, I only had a few minutes to run around in, but it was all the really old printing press machines and everything, and they were doing letterpress and they're doing, um you know, uh, little courses and things there. You could just go for the day and do things. That was just so fascinating. I loved that so much, and, um, yeah, I love that idea. Get a printing press. I mean, we we could be taken back to Gutenberg times, where we're typesetting our own books just to be able to communicate. Who knows? Who knows how far it's going to go?
8: I just want to say I love that idea. I love what you said, Mike. I love what you said, Stella. I I mean, I'm a Ashley and Stella both know because they've seen my garden or part of it that I wasn't embarrassed to show them. But uh, I love gardening. I think that that's very um, you know, barefoot gardening is like so. Healing for me. I think it's healing for a lot of people. I know a lot of people do it even like dudes who you wouldn't think barefoot garden they really do and Yeah, so I totally am down with that. I love books I'm not an internet reader if someone sends me a PDF I find it almost impossible to like read it honestly and to stay with me, so yeah books are like so important the only thing is they're just held to like you have to move or storage that's the bad thing of them but they're so important physical media in general we all need physical media like keel always says right
3: yes shout out (laughs) keel
2: hey stella dockson here he's good um, you saw me you you saw me perk up and move my headphones i i heard i i can usually tell if it's fireworks i'm pretty sure i just heard about four or five gunshots Mm-mm. so that's that's common that's fun, that's fun. N- not no. in this neighborhood could have been firecrackers but didn't sound like it um
5: is ooh. it the youtube army coming for you man
2: I sure hope not. <laughs> Doc's fine, though. He's here. Um, oh, but, dude, the world's crazy. Like I said, I was I was a carny for the weekend. And if you've never been a carny, the only people crazier than the carnies are the fucking people at the carnival. <laughs> 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 but I was going to... I, I ended up grabbing a whole fucking stack of books. I'm just going to run through them real quick. You know, this might this generalize what you should try to have in in hard print first of all common sense by thomas Paine, a local hiking guide of the national forests and whatnot 101 trees of whatever state you live in scat and tracks edible wild plants this is more about gardening, but winning the war on weeds. This is that old one. America's Garden Book. Um, hold on. Man, it's fucking old. Um, hang on. 1939. There's more information here than the internet will ever give you, and a field guide to local insects.
4: Mike, just uh, I w- I w-
2: just, just a
5: bare rich. minimum. You're a rich man.
4: I was, I was just thinking about how important it would be to have hard copy encyclopedias, uh, yes. especially those yes. made made before everything got all woke and bullshit.
5: Before 1940 is what you've got to aim for, preferably. Well, before 1945. Preferably before 1940 and very, very prefer- preferably before 1901, 1900. Um, they're the books that you really, really want to get, especially the um, natural health books, you know, like Grandma's Remedies, all that sort of thing. Um, botanical books, yes. Um, I've actually got a, a Australian Weed Foragers Handbook here, that, which I think is quite invaluable to have because I was having this discussion the other day. And it's quite funny because um, when I was farming, you know, I, I didn't, you know, have a great green thumb. It didn't come all that naturally. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, one day I want to have a weed farm. At least I'll be able to grow them. So, like <laughs> that might come true. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Uh, the SAS point. Survival Handbook is another one that I've got, which I th- highly recommend.
2: I actually have a copy of that somewhere.
5: Yeah. It's definitely one to have
8: everybody uh, should get a copy of Culpepper's the herb book and just because it's such a fo- foundational like herbalism book even th- even if you don't yeah I, I mean see. I have one too I found like an 1871 copy I think it was in an yeah. old bookshop and you know what I've read it like the online because that's obviously all online on mrs. Greaves but it is such an invaluable book and it lists the planetary elements for each um plant as well so it's actually really interesting when you're looking at it like as a series of correspondences is like the idea is that you can use the plants of each planet to treat planetary illnesses i just i find it very fascinating personally i think that's like a really great foundational book for everyone
2: if anybody wants any other recommendations for like hardcore permaculture stuff if you really want to grow like a whole house homestead um i have other recommendations but they're in milk crates way back there but here's one more spiders just in case (laughs) in case you get bit by some or you see something and it's cool either way field some
5: sort of a did you uh i didn't see did you hold up some sort of like a first aid book or something it's probably i have a couple
2: first aid books they're just not on the shelf but
5: yeah and honestly you need a kind of shit yeah yeah, and you need a really updated version of that, too, because I know, for instance, Snakebite, um, the method of treating Snake Bite has changed a number of times over the years, so you need to sort of stay on top of that.
2: I highly recommend going to used bookstores and looking for the field guides section mm. and just buying whatever you find. If
4: it, also, if it yeah. speaking of first aid books, it's good to have a, a good first aid kit. And it's good to have tourniquets at the ready, no matter where you're at. you know at least you know it, the the faster you can get a tourniquet deployed on somebody, the faster that are the, 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 the higher their probability of survival is. So you know keep them keep them close, keep them handy.
5: Yes, I have a snake bite kit on my list of things to get. That's right at the top. Seems almost stepping on an Eastern Brown recently.
8: (laughs) So that's more something you have to worry about. We don't have any snakes where I live, so I'm going (laughs) to pass on the... (laughs) I hate them so much. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm
5: <laughs> I have a healthy respect for them let's put it that way I
8: okay. know you do and that's very good and you know what if I live there maybe I would too but I really don't like them like really really don't like them They'd give me anything else spiders I'm totally cool I'll bring you outside that's mm. fine you know, <laughs> but snakes, I don't like.
2: man you better you better stay in Canada because like there's
8: snakes pretty much everywhere uh, we you have could go to island and... or New Zealand yeah why i I do live on an island so i have that Mm. and then uh you know i can't live in new zealand just because like well we'll get into this when we have our episode but like all the it's so woke there and you know they really (laughs) you know surfed on the indigenous wave we'll call it to make Mm -hmm. it that way which is very how it is here too so Mm. just too similar i'll just stay here might as well
5: I definitely wasn't suggesting New Zealand. I was just saying they even got snakes. <laughs> it was it was
4: great in two thousand six, two thousand seven when I was there. <laughs> it it really ramped up over the years, and I I guess yeah. you know now now that I'm I'm more into seeing this stuff, I can see some of that stuff as it was progressing. You know, uh, the way that you know because I wa- I watched a lot of TV there, and I'm not big on TV, but if you're going to a place and you're trying to uh, immerse yourself in the culture, that is a way to kind of understand it pretty quick.
8: New Zealand does have phenomenal shows. I will say that. Like, I don't watch TV at all now, probably not for like the last four or five years. But Are you talking about Shortland Street? (laughs) Okay, so I've never seen that one, but they have the one about the family who was like the thieves or like they're like kind of like crooks backwater. Crooks. Oh, that it was just,
4: yeah, that was the show that they adapted to the U S. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I forgot what it's called. My sister watched it at night. it, I didn't really like the show. Just it, it, a lot of things bother me about it. I'll, you know, uh, I can talk about it. The later.
8: Kiwi version is really good. Honestly, the Kiwi. Yeah, version, Okay. Is
4: really good. Oh, uh, what was the name of that show?
8: Anyway. I'll find it. and I'll find it.
4: <laughs> we got to use our extra brain. We got to go look on our phones. See, that's, it's something that I knew.
2: See, I zoned out because I was just looking at all these beautiful books.
7: <laughs>
4: <laughs> now I'm wondering oh. where my tourniquet is. I thought I had it close. <laughs> <Yeah>.
5: <laughs> there is one thing about books too, which is probably worth a mention. Um, is if you do collect a whole lot of old books, try not to store them in the same room as where you sleep or spend a lot of time. Because, um, for instance, and I'd love to see your library, Gin, um, for instance, uh, let me say again, Jason from cakes collects incredible amount of books and very, very old books. And then he used to uh, broadcast from, well, I think he still does occasionally, but broadcast from the uh, room where his books were. And he started developing this quite a nasty chest Infection cough thing, so uh, yeah, they can just be aware they can carry molds and things like that. Um, so it's just something to be aware of. That's all, maybe still okay,
8: uh, so something? That... Hmm? Oh, sorry, Sol, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, no, you're no I will once my you know, I'm I haven't d- tackled this room yet, like as a renovation, but as soon as it's done, I will show you my library
10: oh, and yeah, the. That'd be
8: awesome. And the series Ando is called Outrageous Fortune, but not the American series because I watched one episode of that; and it was horrible. I remember because it was so bad. And but the original <laughs> series is actually really good, so I'll just I'll I'll promote it just because I think it was really fun and like cool and interesting and like you know it's interesting to see white working class people, and I think that it's important sometimes to like watch shows like that are centered really around them.
4: yeah uh i i still can't remember the name of the show but i i mentioned shortland street earlier it's a soap opera and um and i think that that's that's one of the things like if you find a soap opera of a new culture you're trying to understand it kind of it it throws a lot of the a lot of the relevant cultural stuff at you and i i lived with a woman that that she found me hitchhiking and she was like, Hey, you can live in my garage. And so I I had a family there and it was, that was really cool. So she liked to watch the show. So I watched it with her and she told me all about all these characters. And I thought that was really fun.
2: Well, folks, I don't know. Nope. Is it about is it about time to wrap her up? We've covered quite a bit. I do have <laughs> a funny I have a funny one we can end on. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. It's all the encouragement I need. So <laughs> <laughs> This is how you should treat your local law enforcement.
7: You're gonna need to get your fucking hand off my fucking camera right now. I apologize. Get your fucking I hand! I... Don't cover my fucking camera. <laughs> Listen, bitch. Don't cover my fucking camera. <laughs> my fucking camera. I thought, I had no. no shut the, the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Don't fucking cover my fucking camera, son. What the fuck do you <laughs> want? Okay. There is no need for that name calling. Fuck job. you, okay. bitch. So you know what? There's no need for you to be all secret-changing, <laughs> covering the fucking camera. What do you fucking want, bitch? That's an officer safety protocol it, that we usually No, the, Oh, make. really? No, for my safety <laughs> protocol, you ain't covering my fucking camera. You're violating my fucking constitutional rights. What the okay, fuck Ellen, do you want? I am here to talk to you. Are you home? Fuck you. <laughs> Are you <home>? get, the, <laughs> the, the fuck, get the fuck off my property. You got a fucking warrant? Get the fuck off my fucking property. I actually do have a warrant. Whoa, really? Get the fuck off my property. Come on, bitch. Bye, you fucking cunts. (laughs) Bye, get the fuck off my property. Are you you home to come out and talk with me? Yeah, bitch, I'm inside hiding from you. That's what I fucking do, you dumb cunt. Get the fuck off my fucking property, man. You know how many times you guys have accused me of hiding in the fucking house from you? Get your fucking hand off my fucking so camera I'm just, and I get just fucking, on the fucking... Get away from my fucking camera. Get the fuck off my property. Right now, get the fuck off my property. Are you, are get you the inside? fuck off so my problem. property. What do you not fucking comprehend? Show me a fucking it, warrant, Kyle. C- you got a warrant. Show you're, me a fucking Dawn, warrant. Don, you're losing connection, ma'am. Fuck you, you fucking ugly cunt! The fuck off my fucking property! It, 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 are you able to restart or something? Get oh, no, 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 no. the fuck off my property! <laughs> are you home right now? Bye, bitch! Take all your fucking baggy fucking friends with you! Bye, cunt! It's just a few of us Bye. here. Bye. Fuck you, I don't give a fuck who's there Nobody's welcome, here. get the fuck off my property You can stand on the fucking curb And then you can show me your fucking warrant But until then I suggest you get the fuck off my property, bitch This ain't fucking Ruby Ridge 2 Get all your little fucking pigs <laughs> off my property Get the fuck out of here all you little faggot ass fucking cops
2: <laughs> This ain't Ruby Ridge 2 Get the fuck out of here, motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh my gosh, is that real? And they did. I, it
2: seemed real. It seemed real.
3: Oh my gosh, that is yeah. insane.
2: Oh, uh, yes. Couldn't help it. No, I was,
8: that just was trying a...
5: to. Sorry. Okay.
8: No, 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 Saul. You you can totally. I was just saying this was funny.
5: <laughs> I was trying to imagine what that, uh, that person looked like. I'm sort of trying to imagine a 97 year old in a walking frame. <laughs> with tood
3: yeah that would have been hilarious but she this lady apparently knew her stuff although she she kept her vocabulary fairly limited um (laughs) but she seemed to to know what was within her rights uh now do i think that's a good idea no because if (laughs) they want to exact revenge on you then they might come up with a way to do it but uh but it was satisfying
4: yeah, no, you pull sounds, stuff like that. You have like, to be impeccable, like and not not let them catch you do anything at all, because they'll they'll start they'll start on you for just little stuff, you know, if your trash bin stays out in front of the place for too long and whatever shit like that, they'll just they'll come after you for whatever they can.
8: Yeah, that's what I think too. Like they'll nab her when she, you know, she has to leave the house sometime. <laughs>
3: Yep, when she doesn't have a, a doorbell on her.
8: Well, you don't have to
4: be home to talk to, uh, talk to people through your ring cam.
3: <laughs> right.
2: Well, there was that moment where the officer's like, ma'am, I think you're losing connection. Um, <laughs> can you restart or something? Like, that was yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> it it's was like, funny i'm like
5: can you turn yourself off and on again lady
2: yeah i'm pretty sure they were not home she's just like yeah that's what i'm doing i'm hiding inside from you bitches like fuck you
9: (laughs) she could have been too
4: she could have been just chilling inside who knows you know
2: chilling on the recliner fucking on her phone like this
5: The doorbell like camera that. on the big screen in front of her. The
2: fucking I, no, fully fully loaded with a, you know big gun. I'm thinking.
4: I, I like the uh, the start of it. The whole start of it. Get your hands off my fucking camera. <laughs>
3: Just, yeah. Yeah. My yeah, favorite line
5: safety protocol.
3: Uh, my favorite line was uh, this ain't Ruby Ridge too. Yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. the best. That's
2: that's the punchline. That, was that the is the punchline.
3: Yeah.
8: Ashley, we need a meme. You have to start doing a meme about that. We'll expect one next week.
3: <laughs> I used to do a bit of memeing in my day, time to time. I know.
8: Justin told me.
5: <laughs> <laughs> the meme queen.
2: There, there time is. Go. I was just going to say, there is like a minute left of this. <laughs>
5: Oh, let's let's oh, please do
3: really? it, guys. Let's hear oh, yeah, it. Let's... I'm ready for it. Hey, fucking Ruby Ridge, too. Get all your little <laughs> fucking kids Get the fuck out of here, all you little faggot
7: ass fucking cops. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fuck you, bitch. You pointed fucking ARs at me. Fuck you, pun. <laughs> Can't watch till the fucking yeah. Fuck you. <laughs>
2: That might be it.
5: (gasps) It's like like the little yappy dog at the door, isn't it? (laughs) Yes.
3: This woman is... I mean, it takes quite a bit of energy to have that amount of sustained yelling. (laughs) It really does. Yeah, she's got some rage.
2: She's got some rage.
8: It's not her first rodeo, you know? (laughs) Her vein was... You, you, I could just see it. Like the vein in her forehead was really
3: bulging. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
5: Red face, <laughs> everything.
2: Well, I'm I'm thinking we probably probably send it around and and sign her off. Yeah. Sounds I, good. I, Sounds I, good. I. Well, I'm Mike, the polymath, easy peasy podcast. um Buy some books. Go to easypeasy.ittybitty.tips if you want to buy mine. And uh, I'll pass it to Ashley.
3: All righty. Um, thank you. Thank you guys again for a really lovely conversation. I was glad to have Jen with us. Always love uh, being on with my pod mate, Stella. Um, so I really Ooh. appreciate it. Mike Ando's always great. And you can find me at UnitUnknowns on Twitter. You can find, wait, Ando. Stand Ashley, online. how do we
4: find how do we find union of the unknowns
3: well ando i'm <coughs> glad that you asked you can find us on our link tree page at union un, union of the unknowns.com that has all the ways to get in touch with us including a link to our discord server and we would love to have you jen oh i'm sorry ando <laughs>
4: <laughs> throw to you you throw to me um Ando, Burn, Babylon, Burn, and the Doom Kitchen. You can find me at libertylinks.io slash the Doom Kitchen. And email me at Kitchen at protonmail.com. Jin the Ninja, how do we find you?
8: Okay, so you guys are all so professional with your link trees. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> but... Um... anyways i am on twitter at wukong reborn w-u-k-o-n-g reborn and uh insta threshold saints one word and uh you can also email me at thresholdsaints uh, protonmail.com as well and uh i have an upcoming episode with union of unknowns i'll be with ashley and stella and drew and yeah, and then that we and Ashley and I are doing um, our series on the NDEs on subconscious realms. Shout out General Lee. Uh, yeah, and I have a million interviews coming up. I'm not trying to like be like woo, but I do, <laughs> uh, and I do. So that's so that's it. So, but don't follow me on Twitter because like I'm a little savage. So you know, that's <laughs> be prepared. It's
2: the only way to be, man.
8: It's totally cool. Oh, and thank you so much, Mike and Ando, for having me on and like tolerating me and all my bullshit. Dude, so, thank no, you. man, no.
2: This is <laughs> the we call it what the fuck for a reason. I mm-hmm. want at some point to be like, I don't fucking know about that, man. <laughs> you know, it's the whole point. Like we're 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 just asking questions, and finally Stella Q.
5: Yeah, yeah. Keep the savage up. We need more savage. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I you know, never really into promoting, but look, yeah, Union of the Unknowns with, with my friend Ashley and other friends there. And uh, we do the once a week Not Your Mama's News, um, we'll laugh at Clown World there. And uh, occasionally, I'm on the propaganda report with Brad Binkley, which is fun. And uh, yes, as Gin also mentioned, thank you for that, uh, Drew Misson's. You're missing the point if you want to have a little listen to what's going on in Australia at the moment with the voice and the referendum voting, which is coming up in five days. It's going to radically change Australia really one way or the other in one sense. So, um, yeah, I hope it all goes well and there's no um, civil unrest or something like that. I I don't really see that happening. Anyway, sorry, that was a big, long sign-off. Thanks for having me. It was
3: good. (laughs) It was good.
2: Nailed it. Thank you, guys. Hey, it's always a pleasure, y'all. Yeah, yeah. What's there to say except what the fuck? Thanks for coming. (laughs) And we will see y'all next time.